Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Nashy Cast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are here for the, well, first annual. That's right. <laughs> no, well, it's not first annual. That's, that's a, man, that's a dumb way to put it, isn't it? Well, but, not uh, nearly. We've been at it a year, partner. You know, yeah, well, I mean, this is our, this will be the 12th one. We're, yeah. we're there. Uh, I promised a year ago we'll have a full dozen of these things for you, and now we're done. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, no, yeah, we're we've... not. <laughs> we're not done. I'm just sitting there thinking, all these people out here that do these pod, weekly podcasts are probably Ooh. not real impressed by. <laughs> They're not. Yeah, nobody's really. Although impressed they may be slightly output. envious, but they uh, <laughs> they, they, they <laughs> might listen to that and think like, God, we should have thought of that once a month. It's, well, the, it's much the, easier than once uh, a week. Uh, Brother D of Mail Order Zombie, they've just decided to finally cut back to only one every two weeks. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Which I can't imagine. They got to 150 doing one a week, mm. which is madness. Think about that. Now that's almost three years. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's I can't, incredible. Uh, Anyway, it's all we can do. We, you, you folks, don't realize how lucky you are every week that we actually managed to get this together and get our <laughs> schedules together and get our and get our shit together to do this. Uh, it's not easy, folks. I was actually, uh, I, I was actually, uh, I, I wasn't sure if this one was going to happen at all because I didn't know if you were going to forgive me for uh, making you watch uh, Cannibal Terror. Uh, <laughs> I still haven't finished Cannibal Terror. Um, I'm 40 minutes in. <laughs> I've not advanced. I have not watched more of Cannibal Terror in. A week and a half. I I just can't, I can't do it. Well, I think the record will show that it wasn't that I encouraged you to watch it, but of course I knew if I just sort of dangled it out there as a character. You gave me the fucking DVD. I know, I did. I was like, this is terrible, but here's the DVD because I don't want it anymore. And of course you. (laughs) Of course I know why you don't want it anymore. (laughs) It's, 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 it's a hangnail of Italian cannibal films. You can't. Yeah. You keep pick, I keep picking at it, picking at it, picking at it. It's so damn bad, but we're way off track now. Yes, yes, we are. We this are. is a podcast about the films of Paul Nashie, and it has absolutely nothing to do with absolutely crappy-ass cannibal films that your friends foist off on you and force you to watch <laughs> from a distance. Except that they did have Sylvia Solar, who was in some Paul Nashie films. This is true. That's Sylvia how we got to talking about it, because we watched yeah. Crimson, and we thought, surely this is Sylvia Solar's lowest point. No, her lowest <laughs> point, unfortunately, poor woman, had to be cannibal terror. At least, at least I hope that was Sylvia Solar's lowest point. If she ever got, if, if I remember correct, looking at her resume on IMDb, Cannibal Terror was one of the last, the very last things that she did before mm. she stopped doing films at all. That's probably a reason for that. I'd say <laughs> that's probably when she might have been. You know, no, nah, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with. <laughs> I this. think I'm finished with this crap. Yeah. Oh, because Cannibal Terror is such a poverty-ridden looking production. It's just, I mean, not just ineptly yeah, I know, made. I know. It's, it's it's like I said. It's like imagine a imagine a, a cannibal jungle film filmed in somebody's like back suburban backyard or something. It's kind <laughs> See, of funny. Suburban backyard and maybe a shack. Yeah. <laughs> with with, and I hope this offends no one. The least believable rape scene in the history of film. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that that that's probably a good way to describe when, it. When 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 the woman is supposedly tied between tr- between two trees and she's just holding on to one of the ropes to make it look believable. <laughs> yeah, the budget didn't the budget didn't allow for someone who knew how to tie knots apparently. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, or maybe the actress had an undue fear of ropes or knots, and uh, at any rate, yes. Know, but Sylvia Solar was was in that, and that was it was interesting to see her a good ten years after uh, Night of the Howling Beast, just yeah, to see right. that it was very clearly her. And yeah, I think she was. I think in Cannibal Terror, she has her her actual hair color. But mm-hmm. once again, off track onto that crappy movie. We are here tonight to talk to you about a much better film. Yes, called Panic Beats from nineteen eighty three. Uh, yes, our second '80s Nashy film. Right, uh, quite a good film. I was very glad to get. I was very get, glad to get back to this and revisit it to 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 go through and kind of put my thoughts in order about this movie because 
Uh, my memories of it were that it were that it was quite good. Uh, I had forgotten until you reminded me that there's no English dub for this film. Right. I think we're you know that's something that you probably tend to run into more in the '80s because uh, one of the things that you know that was after the era of the classic drive-in. I mean, the drive-ins were still thriving to an extent, but the the really classic era of drive-in distribution and exploitation, the grindhouse era. Was kind of you it was know kind of over by that and, early and 80s, so yeah. it was much it's much more common to find films from the seventies foreign films dubbed in English because there was always that well there was the chance market. they had to to be that they could find a market in America and yeah. so they were dubbed in English I think as you get further on you're gonna we'll probably run into more of these when we start getting to the eighties films possibly that don't actually have an English dub that were never done yeah this is this is definitely one that does not have an English dub and when you think about it uh, I think the last of his uh, and I could be I could be slightly wrong on this I think the last of his films. That uh, we definitely have an English dub for would be Night of the Werewolf. That's what I was going to say. Probably so. Probably so. Because uh, I know Beast and the Magic Sword. There's no English dub yeah. for, of course, How the Devil. No English it dub. I know. I don't know. If, does Human Beasts? I can't remember. I haven't watched Human Beasts yet. So. I don't know either. I don't know either. Last comment. Anyway, so, the, the, yeah. 80, the 80s the so, eighty films. So basically, what we're saying is uh, all of our listeners, except for our Spanish listeners, have to learn Spanish this year. So, uh, so, so start working on that now. So. Yes, yes, but we're gonna have very, we're gonna have uh, a, a few fewer clips from the film in this mm. uh, podcast simply because we we do speak English. Mm. Sadly, we are so, solo lingual. Mm. <laughs> but for as a as a little as a as a little gift for our uh, Spanish speaking listeners, we are going to have a couple of clips from the film, and we will proceed to translate them for you badly. Uh, <laughs> horribly, <laughs> yeah. horribly by re- by reading the subtitles off of our written pages here. Yeah. At any rate, Panic Beats is a great film. Uh, it's a great film in his over. Uh, it's it's one of the it's one of the gems from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to think that he made. There's still a few from the eighties I haven't seen yet. Yeah, same here. Uh, but I like to think that he made four really good ones in the eighties, and this is one of them. I think Beast of the Magic Sword, Night of the Werewolf, this, and How the Devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still a couple from the eighties that I haven't seen, and there's some. Lesser known ones that he didn't write but just acted in that have good reputations, but um, mm-hmm. those four are the ones mm-hmm. that I think any Nashi fan can can uh, sit down and watch and mm-hmm. really feel like they're they're watching a continuation of what he was doing in the seventies. Yeah, agreed. As one of our uh, as uh, English speaking fans, uh, we're very lucky in that this is one of the only well, it's one of only two of the four that I just mentioned from the eighties that actually has a good DVD release over yeah. here. Mondo Macabro did a an excellent DVD release of it. That includes a, a thirty-minute extra little interview with Nashi, excellent subtitles. Until some Spanish speaker takes a look at it and tells us the subtitles aren't as good, <laughs> yeah, aren't, yeah, aren't, maybe seem, aren't as good yeah, as they yeah. as, as we think they are. They're certainly entertaining. There's some choice choice dialogue in this movie. Uh, some good yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, some some good stuff. But uh, I guess um, well, we, we want we want to remind everybody mm-hmm. that. Uh, if you want to get hold of us and drop us a line, don't forget to uh, send us an email at nashicast at gmail.com. We haven't set up that phone line yet to, uh, you know, because, well, we have to hire a secretary and <laughs> we don't want to be impersonal and do the voicemail thing because yeah. uh, it's, it's just, I think, I think that takes, I think that takes some personality out of interacting with the fans. So it's much better to just type. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, that was as good a rationale as I've I've heard it for the fact that we're just too lazy to do more. I, had than to, just I really had to circle yeah, around. Did, that, that, that was like me me as a dog finding the correct <laughs> spot on the couch by circling until I found it. So we are two lazy people, uh, you know, and, and and that's really what it all comes down to. So yeah. <laughs> but for tonight, we're about to delve heavily into scene by scene, mm-hmm. panic beats. 
we should probably throw out that there's some entertaining uh, or interesting anyway uh, alternate titles to this film. I don't know if you've got any on your list, but no, I know no, of no. a couple what, what, there. It's uh, well, of course, obviously the straight the direct Spanish title is uh, I guess it's Latidos de Panico. Uh, Which could either be panic beats or heartbeats of panic. Yeah, and I'd, I have to throw out a couple that uh, that I've actually seen, and I guess most of the, I guess a lot of these came from bad English translations in the early days of uh, the the whole video bootleg boom uh, when you know a Psychotronic magazine and places like that. You could look through there, and there'd be all these independent video dealers posting all this rare stuff that they had. And so I think a lot a lot of these might have just been these people themselves uh, might have came up with their own, might have looked at the title and tried to do their own version of it. But uh, I remember I've seen it called uh, Latitudes of Panic before. Really? Latitudes of Panic. Okay. Which I guess could sort of mean, you think of it in terms of heights, like heightened terror, heightened panic. I mean, I guess that's sort of a weird, sort of twisted, but uh, translation. Now, my all-time favorite, though, that uh, I'll never forget, was I once came across it listed as Latinos in Panic. <laughs> oh, oh God! Really? Uh, there's a band. There's a band name for you right there. You're, you're Latin, kidding Latin, me, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not. I'll never forget that. <laughs> there was somebody had it listed as as Latinos in Panic. So oh, you're right. That would be a hell of a band name. <laughs> Latinos. They'd have to be like speed metal, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Latinos in Panic. Yeah. So so anyway, oh, wow. I had to throw that one out there. That's uh, you know, but that's uh, that's kind of terrifying. Yes, it is. But uh, but Panic Beats is uh, yeah that's that's probably is like you said it's probably a, a reference to uh, there certainly it fits because there's a person a character in this movie that has a bad heart and and you yeah know, there's yeah. Life, you know it's, it's so it's I think it's a, a pretty effective title. So let's let's get into it. Yes, Panic Beats, it. 1983. <laughs> begins, gloriously enough, with a naked woman being chased through the night by a knight. <laughs> oh, you knew I was, was going to say. Uh, you, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. But it's, uh, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was going to say, this, this is not one of those subtle, quiet beginnings to a film. I mean, we... Well, no, but I, we, I have a question for you. The way yes, the film yes. begins, we don't see the knight on horseback wielding the big mace. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't see him for a, for a few seconds. Oh, right. And so what you have is this uh, gorgeous naked woman who's been obviously running through uh, the forest, scratched Briars, up, bloody, for just a second. You don't have any fu- any way of knowing the time period. That's true. Okay? That's true. There's nothing that tells you mm-hmm. when this is taking place. And then even the way it plays out, even when the knight shows up and starts doing what he's going to do, 
this could still just be a crazy some bitch. Yeah. <laughs> chasing this woman down and beating the hell out of her because he's a crazy some bitch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'll be honest with you. Every time I've seen this film before this, you know, because this time I I'm I'm well versed enough in the film to know. Okay, I know mm-hmm. it starts it starts with the it starts with something hundreds of years ago and then shifts right. to present day. Right. I honestly looked at it and went, "Is this is this uh, just crazy crazy some bitch?" Yeah, yeah. Is this is this how the film begins? We have a crazy some bitch in modern yeah. times yeah. who uses you know modern weaponry to yeah. to kill people. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, just a while back we saw Nashi in a film where he dressed up as all these different movie characters that right. were set in modern times. So yeah, you're thinking like possibly this is another thing like that because you don't see anything else other than forest. So there's nothing else to put it in a time time a context. You know, that, so so it, well, it's not until later in the film when we get to um, the discussion. Where the the legend is being told about right. Alaric de Marnac, mm-hmm. when we find it, oh, okay, well that what we saw was a visualization. We were actually seeing what happened hundreds of years ago, and now mm-hmm. she's relating the legend. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. this was way back when. Cool, fine, everything's good, but it still feels kind of odd that mm-hmm. there's that sense of disconnect from the image and from the scene where you're not really sure. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know if you'd ever I didn't know if you'd you'd ever felt that way about the beginning of the film or not. Not really, but I like the way you that's 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 uh, interesting though the way you describe that though that's I can see see what you're talking about definitely it's a great it's a it's a hell of a beginning is definitely I mean it did well yeah and it and it does um I, I don't know that I would call it a problem I mean he he of course chases her down she begs for she she begs for forgiveness and he gets off the horse and beats her to death with the the, mm. the mace the chain the chain mace. Using your faith, your 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 favorite phrase there, no. unfaithful bitch. Isn't oh yeah, 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 unfaithful bitch. <laughs> yeah, couple of things. One here and later in the film, we get what I like to refer to as visor vision, <laughs> yeah. which is the the, cam- <laughs> the where, where, where the camera shooting the camera is shooting from uh, Demarnax inside his visor from inside his visor out. You know. Well, and they even use that on the menu of the DVD, which is great. You know, you even oh, use I know, that I on know, the DVD it. menu comes up with the visor. It's vision. visor vision, <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of like that. It's it's creeping. It's creepy. The whole sequence is kind of creepy. Uh, what lends a, an air of um, unreality to it is that Alaric de Marnac is completely backlit. There's this big white light back behind him, which mm. is what's casting mm. uh, light over the entire mm. scene, and uh, makes it. It's another thing that kind of made me wonder about whether it's set in modern day or not. Mm-hmm. Before yeah. you know, we, we were kind of given that information later on. Mm. But uh, it's still interesting that he's backlit. It's, it's, it's interesting the way it's done. And of course, he does beat her to death pretty violently. It's 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 yeah. it's a it's a vicious pit of, bit of uh, mm-hmm. gory death there. I, I don't know that we if we hadn't mentioned it. Let's say it now. I don't know if we mentioned that uh, Paul Nashi directed this as well as wrote the script. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we point that out. But, right, but well, it's, it's yeah, it's listed and as so, so un, 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 un film de Paul Nashi. So, so he, it's the third, I guess, the third film we've done that he's directed because uh, uh, we did uh, his first one, Inquisition, and we did How the, How Devil. the Devil. So yeah. this is our third film we've done where he both wrote the script and directed. This is true. This is true. And this is the second uh, Alaric de Marnac film. Uh, yeah. The first time, of course, Alaric de Marnac appeared in the classic Horror Rises from the Tomb. So, again, coming into this film the first time, if people are familiar with Horror Rises from the Tomb, then you're probably also thinking, okay, now wait a minute. Here he's a knight. This is not the Alaric, Alaric de Marnac that we remember from Horror Rises yeah. from the Tomb. And so there's interesting things with the uh, de Marnac legend as we go on. We'll see how it sort of ties into Horror Rises from the Tomb and sort of doesn't. Uh, again, depending well, on if you're going to try to... Drive yourself insane by <laughs> by uh, putting some sort of continuity on these films, but well, well, not, well not only that. I mean, uh, he he reuses a lot of character names. Yes, he does. Not just Alaric de Marnac, right. but he reuses a lot of character names. Genevieve, mm. Mabille. He uses he, he reuses mm. a lot of character names from other of his scripts.
scripts, mm-hmm. almost as callbacks. And there are yeah. even direct references to Horror Rises from the Tomb there are, within like the dialogue yeah. of this film. Yeah, and I like that. That's one of the things that's yeah. really nice about it here is uh, um, you actually get get some, some tie-ins there. So, uh, But anyway, yeah, so that's what happens in the beginning. He uh, beats this woman, obviously, for what well, he... Well, before we go on, I want to ask you yes. a question. We just, we, just, uh, we just played some of the, some of the music from it. Uh, the opening theme. Do you like it? Yes or no? I really you... do. I think really? I, I, yeah, I thought that was one. I thought that was one area okay. we might disagree on. I, I I really like the music. Of course, other than that theme, most of what's through the rest of the film is just doing a lot of '80s synth kind of. You know what was? Now, see that that's the thing. I'm glad you I'm glad you made that uh, delineation because in all honesty, uh, I don't mind the opening theme. I don't mind the um, the theme music, mm-hmm. the theme tune, however you want to refer to it at all. I don't mind mm-hmm. it at all. What I do mind. Is the cheesy '80s synth buzz sounds? Oh, throughout the film, throughout don't the like film, that stuff, yeah. which just the, the, every time every time they happen, it's not horrible. I would I, I wouldn't mm. refer to this as a horrible score or underscore, mm. which is pretty much what I'm talking about. Kind of the underscore of the of the film and it's right. as it progresses, right? But it it never helps the film along. Mm-hmm. It, it it at best is it's a, not very it's not very interesting. I admit no. that it didn't distract me a whole lot. I don't find it also very interesting. Yeah. I do I, I I do dig the uh, theme song. Now, I'm not going to say I like the theme song. Okay, you do like yeah, and and certainly certainly I mean we've gone through we've just been through two straight films that had really distracting uh, badly chosen theme songs. You know, yes. and, and so in this case, this is the best one we've heard in a while. But uh, but I agree with you. The rest of the soundtrack is not very interesting outside of the theme song. It doesn't really do much for the film. But it you know it's 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 a product of its time in a lot of ways. So. True, true. I don't I don't know that. It, 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 it the theme while 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 I, I give it I'll give it a, a marginal thumbs up. It does seem a little off in a way at times. Yeah, I mean I know what you mean. But, it might not be totally. It may not be completely appropriate or the you know to the mood of the film or what. But uh, but I didn't you know I didn't find it. it didn't sound like a romantic comedy. Thankfully, like some of the past ones we have. Okay, but. so uh, we go we go through the uh, opening credits. All mm-hmm. the, the 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 night chasing down the the naked woman and killing her is all pre credit stuff. We get the credit sequence. Un film de Paul Nashi. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Actually, it's unfilmed uh, Jacinto, Jacinto Molina. Molina. Mm-hmm. At least in the uh, the credit sequence we have on this print of the film, we go we shift to modern day Paris. Yeah, and where, we know it's you know you know it's Paris because that's where all the evil things happen. Nothing evil ever happens in Spain, as we know. So I was going to bring up the fact that once again we yeah. we he sets the film in Paris. Yes, or or in north and in northern France up in the up in the mountains, so that he can you know once mm-hmm. again, once again very much like. Well, how Blue Eyes the Broken Doll. Yeah, Blue Eyes the Broken and, uh, Doll. I mean, Inquisition was said in, in yeah, France. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. So, Fran- so France is, stay out of France, people. Go to Spain. <laughs> Spain is a nice and, and place yeah, yeah, where nothing ever happens. Apparently, nothing evil happens in Spain, only in France. But uh, we're in modern-day Paris, and uh, we come, we see Paul Nashi playing a character named Paul. Yeah, interesting. Which helps when you're making notes for a film. Yes, it sure does. Out. Thank you, Paul Nashi, for, uh, for doing that, helping us out there. Yes, he plays a man named Paul. But he's having a conference with his wife's doctor, who mm-hmm. is explaining to him uh, the the doctor's name is uh, Pierre mm-hmm. that her uh, her heart her heart problems her health problems are getting worse, and that she needs to have a calm quiet place to live, mm-hmm. some some place with a with a, a routine where where life is is, is calm and she mm-hmm. can probably recover and live a good long life. But she needs to be away from things that are stressful. Mm-hmm. He recommends Paul find a place and recommends actually the, the country house, his old family estate's house mm-hmm. uh, near Peru's. Mm-hmm. And of course, 
Peruse is once again a place name that he's reusing from Blue Eyes, Eyes of the, the Broken, Broken Doll. It's where we're at just last, last, yes. Last, last film, last, last Nashi cast. We were in Peruse. Now we're going to go back to Peruse again. Now, this is this whole sequence turns into a massive info dump. Oh, yeah. Where I'm going to have to be really critical here. This this smells like this smells like okay I have a shitload of information I've got to, I've got to get into your head and so here it comes in huge <laughs> heaping steaming chunks open your ears I'm yeah gonna shove it is, in this is the this is the exposition clinic yeah. <laughs> yes exactly exposition <laughs> clinic oh my god yes you are correct so we find out that the country house near Peru's is uh, what remains of Paul's uh, family estate the Demarnac estate something that he almost had to sell off a few years ago because he had money problems. Mm-hmm. He had money problems until he married his wife, who's mm-hmm. very wealthy. Now, of course, he doesn't have money problems any longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul is an architect. The uh, his, his wife's name is Genevieve. Mm-hmm. He's still really bitter about the fact that he was seen by her friends mm-hmm. before they got married, and even right. after they've gotten married, they've been married for five years now, Right. that uh, he was seen as kind of a, a gold digger. I yeah. guess would be uh, there's yeah. what, what would well, be she's a, rich she was wealthy yeah, yeah. So, he, so they they see him as someone essentially marrying mar- yeah. yeah a peasant marrying her for her money mm-hmm. and he's still bitter and pissed off about that and the doctor you know does his best to calm him down like yeah forget about move on you you know since since the marriage you've made lots of money on your own this is you know that's that's ridiculous to kind of hold these these kinds of grudges you've got to start taking care of your wife and paul says flat out yes you're right i'm going to do this it's it's a good idea i'll try to talk her into it she's never been out there before so well you know we get all this information information just dumped wholesale right into our laps Mm -hmm. then we go to a quick scene of paul meeting his wife Right on the Champs-Élysées. Mm-hmm. Genevieve is his wife. Her name is Genevieve, and she's Genevieve. played by the glorious, beautiful Magnificent Julia Saley. She's a beautiful woman and has been in, of course, a number of Paul mm-hmm. Nashie films, mm-hmm. and some that we've already discussed. Yeah, but... we've, yeah, we've seen her in the Inquisition so far. She was in that, I think. Right, right, right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Of the films that Julia Saley has done with, uh, did with uh, Nashie, uh, Inquisition is the only one we've talked about so far. She was also in People Who Own the Dark, I think uh, Human Beasts, uh, Operation Manus. Anyway, but, yes, she's terrific. Uh, she, she's wonderful. And uh, this is a quick scene of the two of them there on uh, Paris Street where he very quickly introduces the idea about going to his holiday house. And she's just immediately up for it with, with no trouble whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. This scene to me, the previous scene, Paul was giving the idea to the doc that she'd never really shown any interest in going to the place. Mm-hmm. But when he introduces the idea of going to it in this scene to her, immediately the very next scene, she's like, "Oh, good! I'll find. You know, oh, you mean I'll finally see this place?" Hmm. And I didn't it, notice that. Good, good call. Yeah, I didn't well, notice well, that. a little bit of a yeah. The reason it stands out to me is this scene seems like it was just something very quickly grabbed while they were in Paris. Now that shooting. I did notice about that, I didn't notice yeah. the difference in the dialogue, but I did think like this scene's kind of unnecessary. It could have easily just cut to the right. next scene of them driving to Peru's. It, it's really unnecessary. It almost made me wonder if he just wanted some more local Paris flavor or something. Just I to, think you know. they I think they had the opportunity and really yeah. quickly, probably illegally, <laughs> yeah. shot uh, some scene uh, this scene right there on the streets with the idea that if it doesn't, if it doesn't turn out, right. if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, fine, we can jettison it. But mm-hmm. I think they ended up using it because it did turn out okay. But you know, she acts as if she's always wanted to see the place. She 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 gives no argument. Where in the previous scene, mm. he 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 was telling the doc that he thought he'd probably have to try to work to convince yeah. her. Right. Interesting. 
But uh, I don't. I don't. I, I think it was just a, a quickly grabbed shot that they that right. they ended up using. Now, uh, over the next over the next few minutes of the film, we go back and forth between the two of them driving to mm. the the country house and sh- scenes inside the country house where we're introduced to uh, the other two major player characters in the in the story, mm-hmm. uh, Mabille and Julie. Mm-hmm. Mabille is the uh, much older lady caretaker of the of the estate has been there for for uh, decades, and as a matter of fact, uh, kind of partially raised mm-hmm. Paul when he was a kid and when he and his family lived in the house. Julie is her niece, whom uh, has had some legal problems in recent times and has uh, come to live with her to kind of try to get away from the bad influences that she's been having to deal with. Right. So, um... Uh, I think it's this point that... This, this, is, this is another series of... The, all the Well, all the scenes in the house between the two of them are Once yet more, another... Just, yeah, yeah, just yeah, unfolding all the, all the little things It's Basil Exposition time. Yeah, yeah, all the, yeah, all the stuff you... Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> all yeah, the stuff we, you need to know. Exactly. So we get another big series of info dumps here. We learn, we, we learn the minute... Uh, the, the meaning uh, behind the, the, the pre-credits scene. Mabille relates to Julie... The uh, the Alaric de Marnac story about uh, finding finding out his wife was being unfaithful and uh, beat her and killed her and then killed three of her five kids. The only two he didn't kill were the ones that were definitely his kids. Mm-hmm. Well, then she says that, and this is a key for this. Is she says that afterwards, after he killed his wife, he became a, took to Satanism. Yes. Uh, which, yes. if you want to go down that road, shows how he could have become the Alaric Demarnac we know from House uh, from from uh, Horror Rises from the Tomb. You're you're right. You're right because he says uh, then he took to witchcraft and black magic. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what I love is I just like you know, you know <laughs> yeah. like you know yeah. remember remember that other movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although if you are going to go down that path, I have to uh, then you then you have to start realizing that well that also took place in the Alaric Demarnac estate. Uh, one of his descendants, who was, uh, I think, um, Marcel, was the oh, character, that's true. which yeah. means that he's somehow related to the Paul Nashi character in Panic Beats, which yeah. means that his best friend Hugo, that was played by Paul Nashi, looks exactly like. Is that, is that, <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? I think we need to stop. Before yeah, okay, you're to, right uh, because if if we start charting this out, <laughs> if we start charting this out, I think we're going to go mad. Yeah, I believe we will. So, Some, somewhat like yeah. a character in an H.P. Lovecraft story, we're just gonna we're gonna keep staring at these things until we go insane and tentacles are gonna grow out of the page and kill us. So, yeah. But I, I love I love the line when she's oh, telling the story say, that the blood stains that stay fresh for 500 years because they're talking about the the weapons that they still have hung up there including a a, a hatchet a, a sword and of course a mace a mace yeah a chain chain mace yeah, how interesting and they couldn't clean them and they used bon ami <laughs> <laughs> oh why do you gotta get a don knots reference uh, yeah in my that's head? my all right i've oh, got the don knots reference off my chest bastard and... Uh, okay, okay. So, but uh, even though we have knights in this movie, there will be no Monty Python references. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be so sure, because now you put that in my head. You know? uh, no, I know. Sorry. All right. So uh, she she relates the whole tale of uh, Alaric de Marnac to Julie, to Julie. Talks about him being brought, eventually being brought to trial, and there being a huge fight. Uh, de Marnac's brother-in-law kills him with an arrow through the heart, mm-hmm. and that uh, because of this, Alaric was da- damned to eternal torment. His soul can never find peace. And the legend says that he essentially returns any time a Demarnac woman is unfaithful to her husband. Right. So, you know, kind of kind of getting the idea across there in a big heaping hunk of info dump. Yeah, 
Now, Julie is uh, Julie's kind of the I guess the the more modern. You know, she's younger. She's kind of speaking. I yeah. guess maybe for the the new ideas of the liberated young people is because she's basically like, what's the big deal with adultery? You know, what's the you know? So Who cares? Like, what's the know? big deal? And I love her line, uh, to sum it all up, is just a classic where she says, people must have been really dumb back then. And I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's like, you go, Julie. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, but as they're leaving the room, as they're oh, leaving that it. main I room, that, that mace falls off the wall. Yeah. And, and Julie kind of gets creeped out when she picks it up and put it back, puts it back up and makes a smart remark to the painting of yeah, Alaric Demarnak don't you look at me like that or something. Which yeah. I have to point out, the painting of Alaric Demarnak, I, I don't, that's not the... They could have had a better painting, I think. I mean, the likeness is good, but the look in his eye is a little... Well, his eyes seem off. Yeah, it's a little comical almost. I think he's supposed yeah. to be looking like yeah. he's glaring, and it just doesn't quite come off that way. He looks either kind of lascivious or just... Or, or almost, yeah, it's just it's not a great painting. But anyway, but this scene, she's great in this this, this scene because, yeah, just the way she kind of sneers at him, but then the, when she goes the stairs, she takes off running up the stairs. I thought that was a pretty good... Like I say, we're we're cutting back and forth between their drive up to the place, right? Mabil and Julie around the house, kind of getting it prepped for them to to come and live in it again. Mm-hmm. While she's while she's telling this story, uh, Mabil explains that about Genevieve's heart problem and why they're coming up here because mm-hmm. it's a quiet it's a quiet place in the mountains and away from the city and the hectic life that they have, and that essentially they'll be not just, you know, taking care of the house, mm-hmm. but they'll also kind of trying to be helping with Genevieve because. Of her heart problems, she's in a kind of a weakened state, and I love I love Julie's response to that, which is great. We're not only servants; we're also nurses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, she's she's uh... well. She's you know, she's also uh, she sees a picture of uh, Paul himself and starts speculating on whether he's still as good looking as in the picture. You know, because yeah, the picture's out. apparently like twenty years old. Y- so, yeah, you know. she's like hmm. So yeah, so yeah, and eventually you get the yeah, you get the feeling she's just like she's sort of chattering away, and Mabil's just gradually going nuts listening to this girl. <laughs> a couple of times, she finally just says, "Stop chattering and work. You know? <laughs> Clean that stuff right now." Well, now um, on the drive up. We see them. Uh, we see them going along, and and every, everything's everything's going really well. And they're on the, this essential back road. It's kind mm. of an. It's basically a dirt road on the way up to the house. And he's feeling he's feeling her in on 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 Mobile and Julie, who just that, right. that's who's going to be staying with him. That that's going to be taking care of them, and kind of gives her a little background on them. And, and also lets us know that uh, he's never even met Julie, and he gave he apparently just recently gave Mobile the uh, the go ahead to mm-hmm. go ahead and let her let her come and live there with her. Right. And so he's never even met, he's never even met this girl. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens here. The car runs out of gas. At first you think it's, it's kind of some kind of car trouble, but it runs out of gas. Mm -hmm. He's kind of pissed off about this, but he says, well, you know, I'll go, I'll, you know, I'll walk, I'll walk back down uh, a couple of miles to the, to the, the closest gas station, get some gas and come back. She says, I'll come with you, but he says, no, 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 definitely not. Stay right here because this is going to be a hike and mm-hmm. this is not, you're, not in this, you're not in shape to do this, really, so stay here. Mm-hmm. I'll be back very soon. Turn on the radio, whatever you want to do. I won't be gone long. But, of course, as you might expect, <laughs> put, put in a situation I was just going like to say, this. what's going to happen next? And I want to bring this up uh, at this point right now is, is that... Um, yeah, if this sounds if this sounds like you know you've heard this before, it's because if you watch enough Paul Nashy films, yep, this is he loves this is one of Paul Nashy's favorite uh, devices, I guess is the better best word for it uh, in a film is the entrance into an area that is you know the journey into an area that is interrupted by something that to varying degrees or another will play a part in the later part of the film. Sometimes it's just something to literally just re- reinforce the fact that it's a bad region. 
sometimes it's it's something to introduce his character as a hero. Many times often he's saving women from being raped or something by local peasants, and you know, but as, nearly always it involves local peasants who obviously just want to rape constantly. And all it's they do <laughs> well, it in every they're, film. They're, they're, they're always thieves, thieves, thieves and rapists, rapists and scumbags. Nobody mm. ever ventures mm. by these poor people mm-hmm. and offers help or yeah. wants to wants to wants to to <laughs> offer some food. Are you thirsty? Nothing like that. <laughs> So, so yeah, so this is, I don't know what the actual, you know, name you'd want to call it, but it is the Paul Nashie interrupted, you know, interrupted, interrupted journey. journey. Yeah. Well, uh, there, there's journey a part of me. Journey interrupt us or whatever. Well, there, there's know. a part of me that wants to kind of reference back to the classical ideas of how fairy tales are told. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm, and I'm sure he'd be the last to object to this oh, kind sure, of, of course this, not, yeah. to drawing this parallel, which would be that the the journey mm-hmm. of, the, the, the not necessarily the hero's journey, but the, the adventurer or the uh, main character's journey from a place of safety mm-hmm. through a place of danger to their eventual fate, mm-hmm. that it's it's the journey, and there are various things that can happen on this journey, and there are all kinds of different stories about mm-hmm. this, but he does use this standard one mm-hmm. of the journey itself being dangerous, but also setting up problems for mm-hmm. the third act. Yeah. And he definitely does that here. Oh, this so. is, as I was going to say, we'll get more into it as it unfolds, but this is one of his best uses of this, one of his most clever uses of this. And how, I agree. How it unfolds in the rest of the movie. So, anyway, yes, obviously the thieves and rapists show up real quick as soon as, as, soon as Paul <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. leaves, it, 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 leaves these, his wife alone in the car. There, These the two bandits show up and start harassing her immediately. Well, not immediately. Obviously, he'd been gone for a good yeah. little while before they showed up. But uh, one of them wears an eye patch, is obviously missing an eye. And uh, they pull her out of the car and start and pull the luggage out of the trunk and start cutting it up and and uh, just about then, just as this shit starts, uh, luckily Paul is returning to re- returning to the car down the down the road and sees what's going on, attacks, mm-hmm. runs up and jumps these two guys, mm-hmm. beats and them we up. Ha- yeah, we have a pretty mean, pretty yeah. well coordinated fight up here. There, you know, but. Uh... I, I love the fact that it, it, it's it's a fist fight. It's it's a fist fight, and then Paul picks up a damn piece of a chunk of wood and just starts <laughs> wailing, wailing on, on too. Him, man. I know, yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, manages to run them both off. I, I thought honestly at one point he puts one of them down. I honestly thought the guy he may have killed the guy because it looked <laughs> yeah. like he clubbed him damn well. Mm-hmm. But uh, he eventually gets out of there. What I like about this uh, one, at one point one, the guy one of the other thugs kicks him right in the nuts and he doesn't even flinch, which proves that Paul Nash has balls of steel as we always knew. Well, him, so. he he's either wearing wearing the, the cup of steel or he's, he's got balls of steel. <laughs> yeah. But did you but did you notice that during the entire fight? Nashi never loses his fedora. Oh, I know. That's style. That is style right there. Well, the fact that it was 1983 and he was wearing a fedora. That's even style. That's even stylish. better. Yeah. But he never during this entire fight, he never loses the fucking hat, which is just, <laughs> I, I, I got to call it cool. It is cool. I like it's that a lot. The only, other, only word for it. So. But anyway, during while this is happening, by the way, we see Genevieve uh, uh, open, like fumbling for her pills and has yeah. to swallow a bunch of pills because obviously her her bum ticker is uh, starting to starting to give on her. So she has medicine that she has to take. We see that, and then I believe after that is where uh, then it goes to back to the estate where it's night and they're getting yeah Mabille now yeah is night, night night has fallen. All this stuff has been taking place during the day. Julie uh, Julie and Mabille are sitting there, and I think they're cleaning uh, silver silverware at this point, kind of polishing the silver. Uh, and is aligned along the lines of this is a night like when Alaric de Marnac would have risen, rises from the tomb, <laughs> and actually uses the phrase yeah. rises, rises from, from the, the tomb. tomb. <laughs> um, and, sh- and this this scene shows that uh, those stories that uh, old Aunt Mobile's been telling are starting to kind of get under get under her skin because mm. she's a little uneasy about this, and it's obvious that she's saying this to mm. to kind of make it a little bit lighter to get her own head around, mm. you know, her mm. get, to pull her own thoughts off of this. 
while they're sitting there doing a little more we're talking it's 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 we, we've gotten the information dump so it's it's a little bit more natural the way they're right. talking now yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, someone knocks at the door and it's Paul and uh, they finally got they finally got into the house it's great though when it first knocks you can tell both of their minds suddenly race you can tell they're, yeah. they're thinking they're both spooked for a second and then they're like oh it's it's the it's the master. It's, it's got to be it's them. The they're finally like, here. Yeah. We don't know but why. It's great. They've gotten themselves kind of worked up. So it's a nice little character bit there. That yeah. for a second they're both. Uh, what is that? <laughs> Paul explains that they uh, they had to go to the police. Uh, there was he just refers to it right now as an incident, mm-hmm. and they had to go to the police and make a report, and that's why they're they're showing up so right. much later. Julie and Paul instantly have a little connection. I mean, they spot each other. You think and, it's like, uh, can, yeah. we, can we be a little more subtle about our unbridled lust for each other? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. they just, yeah. they, they, it's like, the, <laughs> I know. I just, I, I just, I, I almost wanted to just write down roar. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. Sproing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, could, it couldn't have been more obvious where, where Paul's thoughts went and that Ju, Julie did, mm. you know, took one look and went, Hey, he has money too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and Mobile notices it too. Yeah, she does. So uh, they settle in uh, that night for their first night in the house, for their first night in the uh, the country estate house mm-hmm. uh, in bed, and Paul's ta- telling Genevieve that uh, Mobile tells tells these stories, and he used to she used to tell these stories even when he was a kid, mm-hmm. and just you know used to scare the hell out of him. And uh, Genevieve re- remarks that it's interesting that this is kind of like that story Rebecca, the yeah, uh, Monet yeah, story. They, uh-huh. Except that this is as a good housekeeper instead of an evil housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's interesting that he draws that. I like that. I mean, he immediately draws that mm-hmm. parallel and points out, hey, by the way, if you've ever seen, you, you don't even have to have read the book. If you've seen Hitchcock's film, Rebecca, yeah. you, 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 you might be thinking down that road already. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I like that. that they, that's, a, that's a nice dialogue there. I'm glad they just went in and threw that out there, you know, about the, about the uh-huh. reference to Rebecca. And... But he takes this opportunity to tell Genevieve about the DeMarnac legend, the Alaric mm-hmm. DeMarnac legend, mm-hmm. and let her know about the whole, you know, killing his wife, the unfaithful wife, and that whole that whole nine yards. She she remarks that uh, she's seen the painting, and she remarks that, I don't think, he, he says, you know, there's a family resemblance, of course. Yeah. And she says, uh, well, I, I don't think so. He has a satanic look, and you you don't look that way. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you've not seen the movies we've seen. Yeah, either. that's right, boy. Yeah. <laughs> So the next thing we see is uh, Julie is uh, in bed is, that in bed, same night, right? Yeah. That night, and uh, she hears a voice calling her name. Yeah, she's awakened up. by something. We can't hear it at first, but then it turns out mm-hmm. to be a voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she gets out of bed, starts wandering downstairs. Um, I think there's some flickering lights. Yeah, and, the uh, lights flicker. I think one of the doors closes by itself. Uh, so she's uh, obviously so, and she comes. She goes all the way down the staircase into the the living room and. Uh, Immediately notice that the mace is missing from the wall of armaments there, you know, yeah. from where that is missing there. And uh, she uh, finds Mobile. Yes, is sitting, sitting by the fire. Sitting in a chair by the mm-hmm. fire, right? Mm-hmm. And Mobile is very obviously dead with a cut, very nastily cut throat. Uh, and that's a that's a nice uh, nice effect on her throat. Really that's, a, that's a really nice uh, throat mm-hmm. slit, I mm-hmm. guess you would say. So uh, much to her horror, then or her growing horror, uh, Mobile then uh, looks up and it starts to move and stands up and and obviously is a walking corpse and has this really horrific. Uh, the lighting and the makeup in this scene it really combined to make a great look. It, it's it's very, very nice. Effective. She's very creepy. And it's, looking. At this point, she spots the, the 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 men and women's heads that have been mounted on the yes, wall. Yes, yes. There's heads mounted on the wall. Then, uh, uh, as as Mobile stands up and starts walking towards Julie, and Julie's freaking out more and more every second, and uh, she as suited the suit of armor that's on the corner, mm-hmm. then begins to move. And it's then that you realize 
she starts to scream and we realize, oh, and she wakes up and she's in bed. And, and it's been a dream sequence. It's been a dream sequence and it's actually Paul who's shaking her, right, sitting there on right. the bed mm-hmm. next to her, shaking mm-hmm. her to mm-hmm. wake her up. You know, just before the dream ended, actually, the knight raises visor and as you see Demarnak's eyes, you know, I think. That's true. out from there. Yeah. And then, yeah, right. And then she's awakened by Paul. He, tra- he, he tries to calm her down. Mabille comes in. She'd heard her mm-hmm. screaming just as much as Paul had. Mm-hmm. And um, there's nothing going on between the two of them, obviously, but... It does look a little strange. Yeah, yeah, she does. She notices them embracing because she's, she's Paul's holding her because she's upset. But uh, and you can tell they immediately think what she's know what she's thinking, and so they're quick to explain what happened. But she did hear her scream, so that she can't deny. Yeah, that she it's had no denying that. And actually, Paul kind of goes off on her uh, about uh, the fact. Yeah, that she's, it's, you know, it's your it's, damn it's stories. It's you and your damn stories. And mm-hmm. you know, you you got to admit it's true. I mean, we've now seen. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. all laid out there. I mean, this mm-hmm. this girl. <laughs> She's, she's already processed these stories and is starting to mm-hmm. starting to freak out about them. I mean, she's mm-hmm. having nightmares about them the night she heard about them. Mm-hmm. So um, here's something I, I would like to point out: the all that all the the, the memorabilia. The uh, thanks, Flex. By the way, yes, that that was if you heard that, that was my massive cat Flex just uh, sneezing there. And there. He's uh, the third the third leg on this table. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the suit of armor is omnipresent. Mm-hmm. In that downstairs living room, in the very the, the great room, I guess yeah, you would true. call it, with yeah. the the fireplace, and it's always over there in the corner. It's mm-hmm. always You're polished, always mm-hmm. and uh, it's 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 always it's always there, and it very much is or very much looks exactly like the armor that we saw in the pre credit sequence. So mm-hmm. it's almost always there, even in scenes yeah. where it plays absolutely no role yeah. whatsoever. It's always lurking in the background, always present, mm-hmm. keeping that idea from the original scene of the, the very first scene of the film yes. alive and kind of in your memory, even when things are mm-hmm. completely in another direction, you, if you're in that room, mm-hmm. you're seeing that armor. Mm-hmm. So having, you know, having it kind of come to life oh, in this I dream sequence is, yeah. is, is, mm-hmm. is just another, you know, we've, we've gone for about 20 minutes mm-hmm. now without anybody thinking about the armor. Boom here. We yeah. remember, you know, remember the armor. Yeah. Yeah. We're constantly reminded of DeMarnak's presence, uh, throughout the house and, and his, yes. his, his, his sort of his influence the, on this, the painting and, mm-hmm. and, uh, the, the, men- the mentioning of his name, the armor, mm-hmm. the weapons on the walls, mm-hmm. all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, our next scene is, uh, we're, we're told, uh, in the dialogue that a month has passed and Jean-Aviv and Julie are out walking around the estate mm-hmm. and uh, seem to have become very good friends now mm-hmm. and are actually remarking on the fact that um, they have gotten to know each other and have, have become very friendly and that there's some a little there's a little confessing between the two of them and that at first at first sight they didn't really like each other that exactly much. right neither of them care for each other much and now they're girlfriends one of the uh, one of the interesting things about this is that very quickly as they're talking and walking around we are shown that someone is watching them walking around mm-hmm. we don't know who we don't we don't have a gender we don't have anything yeah just see some sort of shadow figures outside then we also see that mobile is watching them from from, from inside the, the house yeah so it's not her but someone is definitely watching them who's not mm-hmm. part of our little group of of, of people mm-hmm. living in the house mm-hmm. we see plus, plus we cut back to paul a couple of times and we see he's in the house on the phone so or right. he's actually writing he's, he's actually writing, writing a, letter a letter to the doctor to Expl- tell him explaining how, that you know yeah. uh Genevieve's getting getting better. She's right, healthier. She's she's, mm-hmm. she's ha- she has a lot more energy and things of this nature. And, wh- and while he's writing that letter, he does get a call, and it's uh, it's the police that seem to have some uh, new information about the the two uh, bandit scumbags yeah. who attacked them mm-hmm. uh, a month ago when they were first driving up there, and they want him to come and look it over or check it out somehow or another. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, one things we get a little bit we get from Julie is that she's really opening up to Genevieve. She starts talking about how. Uh, 
she was uh, in reform school and uh, how much... Uh, she hates being around in that region or she's really desperate to do something with her life and to manage to get out of that village of, of bruise and, yep. you know, and, and move on, move past uh, just that, that area and, and, and see the world and all this stuff. And, and, uh, and she's, you know, obviously had a troubled past and Genevieve, uh, Genevieve's just very, uh, you know, her heart may not be a healthy one, but it's a good one because she's she just, you know, True. she says, I want to help you, you know. And then, of course, we know she has money, and so she's basically saying, I want to help you fulfill your dreams, you know. It's very nice. And she, she does. I mean, she cool. essentially, Genevieve kind of basically, you know, pledges, tells her right out front, I'll, I'll help you mm-hmm. with, with your life. I'll help you find your dreams. We, mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to have to to live this, this bad existence, this boring existence that you fear you're going to have to live. Mm-hmm. Then we cut back to Julie and Genevieve, and uh, Julie decides, to have a little fun at Genevieve's expense, uh, or at least to to kind of yeah. give her show her uh, the actual tomb of Alec Germanic. Yeah, they go out to the to the local uh, graveyard. I'm assuming the the family mm-hmm. gravestones. Right, and uh, we'll take a little listen here and what happens. Nunca había estado en esta parte del jardín. Dios mío, qué lugar tan deprimente. En esta zona se encuentran los restos de la tumba de Alaric de Marnac, el caballero del Mangual. Sí. Y como usted seguramente sabe, la actual casona es el tercer edificio que se construye sobre las ruinas del castillo de los Marnac. Aunque suele rehuir el tema, algo de eso me ha contado mi marido. El caballero mató a su mujer por serle infiel. Y la leyenda afirma que Alarí juró regresar de su tumba para justiciar a toda dama que ocupase como señora el predio de la familia. El sangriento rito se efectuará cada 100 años a partir de la muerte del caballero. Qué historia más horrible. Mabel me ha contado que los 100 años están a punto de cumplirse. Y usted es la actual señora del predio de los Marnac. Por Dios, señora, si es solo una leyenda, un cuento para viejas. Y venga conmigo, quiero enseñarle algo. Esta es su tumba. Alaric de Marnac, 1515-1565. Solo escuchará las trompetas del infierno. Solo el diablo estrechará su mano. So there she is relating yet another variation on the on the on the legend and adding I think adding that whole hundred years every hundred years thing, yeah. which just seems a little a little too much. But the whole idea of uh, I guess it, I guess you'd be his first victim if he yeah. came back now, yeah. right? Yeah. But yeah, it's just a legend. It's just an old yeah, wives' tale. Yeah, she's so. needling Genevieve a little bit there, but uh, yeah. And, and but then when she sees she's upset her, she's you know you know yeah. It's just a it's just a legend. And then she takes her over to show her the actual tomb. Of Alaric de Marnac. Yeah, and uh, there's a snake crawling over the grave, <laughs> which is either beautiful planning or incredible luck, whichever yeah. way you want to put it. <laughs> and this, of course, upsets Genevieve. Um, mm. I love, she, I love the, I love the, I love the inscription on the tomb she reads, which says only, uh, only, oh, yeah. he, only, only, only he will hear the trumpet of trumpet of hell. Only the devil will be his friend. Yeah, yeah. You gotta enjoy that. Great stuff. Great stuff. But this this does upset Genevieve, and and so uh, we we get her back to the house and in bed with uh, 
Paul uh, giving giving her some of her some of her medicine, and he is pissed that mm. she got upset and was frightened. After I mean, you know, you could see his perspective because he was just writing a letter saying, you know, past few months, past few weeks, she's started to to mm. really perk up. She's really she's mm. she's feeling healthy. She's feeling better, and now you're all upset. And he's pissed and blames Julie for for telling her this story and taking her out of this gravestone and, and and getting her all creeped out and he flat out says I'm kicking her out I've had enough of this this is ridiculous I can't let, I'm not yeah. letting this crap go on right Genevieve jumps to the girl's defense right yeah and, and yeah, says she no, speaks up not, for her yeah speaks up for her and says no I don't want you to do that mm-hmm. uh, she basically gets him to calm down and, and and gets him to to enter into some lovemaking with her yeah yeah he he actually she actually does the uh, the standard spouse thing which is Spouse is upset. Let me distract you with sex. <laughs> and um, he actually kind of doesn't want to because you can see that this is something he has to be careful about. Yeah, They've right, not broached right. this subject directly within mm-hmm. the dialogue mm-hmm. of the film. But if your wife has a heart problem, mm-hmm. then strenuous sexual activity is probably not something that you can really engage in a lot. Especially if frequently. you're, especially if you're, you know, a Nashi man like Nashi, you know, hunk a hunk a hunk a hunk a man might be too much for any any normal woman, you know, especially one with a one with a weak heart. It's true. So he has to be careful. But she, you know, she talks him into it, and it's Julia so I think she could probably talk. Uh, she just, yeah, she could yeah. distract me from any bad mood. I think from, uh, but. Uh, but we find that uh, there's a shadow creeping along the wall outside, and it turns out that it's uh, Julie who's yes. decided to creep up and is watching them through the keyhole. She's watching them have sex. She is. She is. But yeah. uh, Mobile catches her doing this. <laughs> yeah, and runs her off. Runs her off. What the hell do you think you're doing? <laughs> so the breakfast table the next morning, um, Paul explains to his wife, hey, you know, the police want me to come take a look at some pictures. Turns out these these crooks that tried to, to rob us... Mm. Uh, Seem to be uh, well known around the area, and I th- th- we're thinking they might be they might get caught. This mm-hmm. this may actually we may actually get somewhere with this. He's going to have to go take care of that today, so he's got to go and do that. Yeah, and and as she as Genevieve says goodbye to Paul, uh, with the camera pans to the window, and and uh, Julie now wearing an actual proper maid's uniform is watching yeah. them from the window and uh, doesn't have a very friendly look on her face. No, nope, no, nope, not at all. Now uh, that uh, night. We see a glass of milk, and, 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 and actually, this is Mobile's, this is, uh, I guess, her little snack she has before she goes to bed, and we see a glass of milk on the kitchen table, mm-hmm. and we see a black-gloved hand. You know, apparently they went out and got uh, Dario Argento to come in and put on some <laughs> black gloves and uh, put on some black gloves and dump, obviously dump some sort of powder Some into kind of powder cake. into the milk mm-hmm. for Mobile, and um, there's a storm outside. Mm-hmm. As well, adding adding to the thing. So the, the drugged glass of milk gets uh, gets drunk at least partially by Mobile. Yeah, and, because uh, she, first she's been talking to Genevieve and it's storming, but and she says that she'll stay with her, but Genevieve says no, it's okay. I'll you know you yeah. can go into bed, but but the mobile tells her, well if you need me, just you know just ring the buzzer by your bed, and I'll be I'll be you know down the I'll be down the kitchen. And she goes to the kitchen and she starts looking at tarot cards, I think, doesn't she, or some sort of cards, right? Right. She starts playing with tarot cards as she's drinking the milk. the the car, The last two cards we see her her turn over are the knight and the death card. Mm-hmm. Which in this film is, you know, highly symbolic of the very obvious things that we've been talking yeah, about. Yeah, and I say no, yeah, no, yeah, none of the subtler meanings of the tarot deck come out. Yeah, in this yeah. particular film. We can take yeah. we take these tarot cards at face value in this film. Night and death. death yeah. mm, let me think. What could that mean? Okay, so while she's looking through the tarot cards, Genevieve's upstairs, takes her medicine, and goes to bed. She pulls back the covers on her bed, and there's a snake in the bed. Yeah, yeah. She immediately rings for Mobile, but of course nothing's happening there because Mobile's passed out now from having drunk the drug milk. Mm-hmm. 
Genevieve stumbles to the door of her bedroom, opens the door, and standing in the doorway is the knight. Mm-hmm. The the suit of armor is standing there. Mm-hmm. And she faints on the floor, dead away. Mm-hmm. We then immediately see someone removing the armor, taking the armor off downstairs. Mm-hmm. So something so is definitely yeah. going on. And someone's it, yeah. drugging Mobile. This our first, yeah, at this point we can say, okay, there's nothing, su- this is not something this supernatural. This is not supernatural. Is, something's yeah. going on. Somebody put right. that, some, and that, and that immediately tells you somebody put the snake in the bed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The the next day, the, the, the local doctor is, is, is there checking, checking out Genevieve, who's obviously in a bad way. And he's flat out saying, look, this is, you know, I'm just, I'm just a, a regular doctor. This is out of my league. She's mm. probably going to need to go and see her specialists in Paris again because this is, you know, this is this is serious stuff. She needs to she needs to see the people who've been taking care of her for a long period of time. Paul returns. He is not thrilled about what's going on. Mobile explained, you know, the power went out because of the storm last night. We found her, with, you know, we found her passed out on the floor. But strangely enough, the electric company says there was no power cut last night, which means that if the power went out in the house somebody must have cut the power there and then turned it back on paul just turns to mobile and goes well where were you when all this was going on and she has confessed that she fell asleep right um you know completely unaware that she was drugged of course mm-hmm. they try to call him genevieve i know that What's paul that? has to go into town yet again to continue with this right pl- helping with this police investigation he says he's got to leave town he got to got to run into the town again so once again genevieve's kind of left there with with julie and uh Right, but, but 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 uh, Paul does say, "Look, I've, we're, we're going to have to go back to Paris for tests." That's right. That's where he says, "Like, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll 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 do this. To, we'll we'll do this tomorrow. Right. I, we'll, we'll do this. To, I have to go back into Peru's tomorrow to see the police again. But then we're going to have to go to Paris, talk to uh, Pierre, mm-hmm. get some more tests run, and see how you're doing because everything was going well, and now this has happened. We need to make sure everything's okay." The next day, Paul is gone off to Peru's to see the police again. Julie brings breakfast in to Genevieve and uh, tells her that uh, the two crooks might have been caught. The two guys mm-hmm. who, who did the robbery might have been caught. And she thinks they might have even been killed by the cops. Yeah. And the reason, and she thinks that maybe the reason Paul had to go into Peru's is he may have had to go to identify the bodies. Yeah. She's telling her this, and she lifts the lid off of the breakfast plate, and in the plate is an eyeball yeah. and a patch, an yeah, eye patch. Eye patch, yeah. And of course, Genevieve screams. Yeah, yeah, it was nuts. Uh, so, yeah, starts screaming, and uh, Julie, like, what do you, what? Julie, what's Julie says, what do you, what's the problem? What's wrong? Mm-hmm. As if she doesn't see what's sitting there on the plate, or she, mm-hmm. this is some hallucination. And as Genevieve tries to to twist away from it, Julie like holds her, <laughs> goes behind her, her, grabs her head, and you know, forces her to stare at the plate, <laughs> which makes her scream even more. Yeah, yeah it's. it's <laughs> Yeah, I don't think oh, yeah, I don't okay, think okay. Julie's I don't think Julie's cut out for you know uh, uh, the health healthcare you know health, the healthcare industry for, for is not her no, no no not at all. <laughs> well, we cut directly from that to interestingly enough the White Horse Motel, mm-hmm. and in a room in the White Horse Motel is Paul, and he's meeting his mistress, who yes. we've never known anything about we, until we now. Haven't, we haven't. His mistress is. Uh, Getting a little bit more demanding mm-hmm. than she has been. Apparently, they've been around each other for... They've been carrying on a relationship for a good number of years. And uh, she's getting a little demanding. They're having a few words. He's really angry with her. She's really pissed off with him. And Her, I name, love, her name is Muriel, uh, which can be a little confusing because yeah. it's so close to Mobile, you know, but it's Muriel. I know, I know, and, yeah. Muriel. 
And uh, I, I love that uh, as things get hot and heavy, he, he, he says, I found you in the gutter and you're still trash. <laughs> Even sl- and he slaps her. Oh, we, go, we run the whole uh, whole gamut of, you know, the whole emotions right here. You know, he's like, yeah. calls her trash, slaps her. And, of course, they end up screwing, you know. Yeah, you know, so end up of kissing, course. Kissing, you know, naturally. Um, uh, well, he, he makes this thing here. He says, he says, he starts after he slaps her, kind of calms down and says, well, just be patient and we'll have all we want, which, which, you have figured that has to be his wife's wealth, you know, is what you yeah. kind of guess at that point. It's not too hard to make a make the conclusion. Okay, this is what they're working towards. Is you know, as he's wanting to get his, his and it's cl- and it's clear that the mistress has been told for a long period of time now that you know yeah. my wife is ill, she's yeah. gonna die. You know, we won't have to keep things under wrap forever. Mm-hmm. She seems to be a very fiery woman. So I think the next- yeah, back, back, well, back in the house, Genevieve tells uh, Mabille that I mean, she's very, very kind of. Detached at yeah. this point, yeah. and she tells Mobile that she she knows she's going to die soon. That yeah. she senses it somehow, and, and uh, she, she feels like she's losing her mind as well as not only being in bad health, but also that she feels she's going insane because obviously she's seeing all this stuff that nobody else is. And yeah, she she seems she she laments how hard her illness has been on on Paul, mm-hmm. and how he's put up with all this all this terrible stuff and done and done so much for her. Mm-hmm. Mabila is just kind of horrified that she seems to feel this way and, and this detached emotion, you know, emotionless acceptance of a kind of tragic fate seems so, seems so strangely odd and out of character for Genevieve. She's, she really does, she really is obviously ill and not feeling well. We see Julie in her room actually coming out of the, uh, coming out of the bathroom. She's just, she's just had a shower. She's wrapped herself in a towel there on the, <laughs> on the bed. And uh, she burns the eyes out of a picture Ooh. of. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, she, of Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, yeah, and takes her cigarette and stubs stubs at his uh, his eyeballs in the picture. Yeah. Then we get what I would consider a far too quick cut to night. We go from mm-hmm. those two scenes, and we we cut quickly to that night with uh, every, everybody in bed or everybody sleeping, and uh, someone shuts off the power again. We power see off, we yeah. see someone shutting the power off. It's the black gloves again. Dario Argento's return. <laughs> Dario, get onto your own film. Leave what are you doing? <laughs> Genevieve wakes up. She hears noise in the bathroom, mm-hmm. goes inside. There's water running in the sink. Right. She goes over and she turns off the water. One of the bandits, the one who had the eye patch, rears up out of the bathtub. Yeah. He's covered in blood. He rises up out of the tub. And reaches for her. She kind of stumbles away. The other, other bandit mm-hmm. walks in through the bathroom door from the ba- from the bedroom. Also looking like a walking corpse. Also looking the... like a corpse, like someone who's been mm-hmm. severely injured and bloody. She screams and runs away. She gets downstairs. Notice once again that the mace is missing from the wall. Yeah, mace is gone. She spots the uh, knight mm-hmm. walking toward her across the room. Mm-hmm. It raises its visor, visor, and behind the visor is the death's head. Yeah. Skeletal face. Do we get visor vision in this scene or not? I, I don't think we, we get visor vision in okay, this scene, though. No. But then, of course, she obviously has a complete, full-on heart attack, and she keels over dead. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right there on the floor. And and, and by the way, I have to, I have to say here, uh, uh, Julia Sally was really called on to do a lot in this, this film, acting-wise. Yeah. And she does great. I, uh, this, this whole sequence here... It's a pretty lengthy sequence. Um, you could probably make the case that maybe it's a bit, maybe maybe it was a bit too long. But but I, I think would that make the, I would make that argument. Yes. And so 
she's really called on to basically be clutching her heart and act like she's having a near heart attack for for a very long piece of time and she she does it she does it does really well with it it was it was you know yeah. it, was, it was not it couldn't have been an easy thing to do and it's a good bit of acting i like I said i think that I think certain scenes like this, you know, tend, you know, they could 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 be trimmed up just a little bit, you know. But well, but the, the moments changed, of horror are nicely done, or the the shocks or whatever are nicely placed. But you know, it's I little, would have uh, I've thought about I thought about this sequence because it's a pivotal scene in the movie. Yes, uh, I would have changed up uh, a couple of things in how it was directed mm-hmm. and in how it was staged in mm-hmm. a couple of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I would not have had both bandits. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. I would have only had the mm-hmm. really scary looking one with yeah. the eye patch or with the missing eye. Yeah, that would have been plenty. Uh, and I would have had the uh, I would have had um, close ups, more mm-hmm. close ups on Julia Sally mm-hmm. while she's struggling down the stairs away from him. Mm-hmm. More close ups on her, showing her desperation. Mm-hmm. And then I would have had uh, a number of more close ups of her as she wheels around and discovers each new thing that is supposed to amp up her terror right but too many of the shots are two and three two or three shots where you're seeing most of the entire room Mm. and you just don't get in other words it need it needed as the scene progresses and her terror mounts it needs to get the camera needed to get tighter and tighter on her to amp up that feeling because she's projecting all this but unfortunately we all all we're seeing it in is long shots and therefore it's not nearly as effective as it could have been she's doing as good a job as she can do but the shots aren't feeding us what she's giving as well as it should so the scene works editing and camera placement would have made the whole thing more effective it's not that it's bad no it isn't at all it's it's that essentially while watching it Mm -hmm. as soon as the scene is over I'm like wow that could have been amped up simply mm-hmm. by giving us several close-ups mm-hmm. and editing those close-ups into the sequence mm-hmm. as each new piece of of terrifying information is given to her as she right. as she spots it. Mm-hmm. It's I, I wouldn't call it a bad scene, but it is one that I really do wish that that was done just a little bit better. Right, but um, so she's collapsed. Uh, she's collapsed. Obviously, obviously this dead. is the final. Yeah, this is the final collapse. The uh, the night. Like I said, I don't think we have visor vision there, but the knight uh, remains uh, removes his mask, and of course, behind the mask, it is Paul. It is Paul. Uh, the two bandits come down the stairs and start removing the uh, the makeup, makeup off of their mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. Julie comes down as well, and uh, it's very clear that they have been Did, working. Julie's the, in on it too. Yeah, yeah, she's in on it too, and they've he been. Gives, they, he even gives poor Genevieve's body a kick there to make sure that she's oh, to make sure dead. she's dead. Some classy people here. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's very. It becomes clear very quickly that they have been working the old gaslight routine. Let's get. Let's scare the wife to death so I can mm. inherit her wealth. Mm-hmm. So. And we can now talk. We can now go back to the uh, the what we talked about was the classic Paul Nashy device of uh, when he when Paul and Jonavi first come into town. They're attacked by the thugs. Okay, at this point we're obviously we say like okay the whole time that whole thing was a setup. Yeah. And it's great because he has set us up for this through his, for by his whole film career. What we see at this point is we were totally suckered in because we're so used to that motif. Yeah, and I thought true. it was wonderful that he takes that device he's used so many times, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, it's like, the, of course, the car runs out of gas. He saves the woman from being or raped. Or, yeah, there's some minor himself, accident. The car doesn't work or whatever. Shows badass. Yeah. And, and it turns out that it was it was all part of a, of a devious plot, you know, so it's great. It's, it's I, I love that that, that, that. That's how he used that in this film. Yep, yep. It's uh, that kind of variation on a theme, mm-hmm. and of course, it, I, I love that the end of this scene. He he tells he tells the two bandits to take the body upstairs to bed. Yeah, 
We'll he, set it he, up later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He and Ju- he and Julie then engage in the massive massive kiss, putting any questions at all to mind that you may have still had mm-hmm. to bed because we now know what's going on here completely. Mm-hmm. Next day, the local doc has been called in, and mm-hmm. he uh, Paul is playing the grieving husband very well. Yes, he is. Uh, the doc says it's obviously a cardiac arrest in her sleep. Mobile um, ending is in obvious grief. She's just oh, yeah. she's just weeping. I love her line, how, how sad to die alone. To die alone, yeah. Paul, very smooth, I would say very smoothly, does handle the whole thing with the doc, and the doc is like, mm. you know, don't, you know. Yeah. This, you know, this, this is terrible, you know. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. It takes care of the, the death certificate and everything, and looks free and clear. Um, that night, Paul is uh, feels free and clear enough to actually be in Julie's bed. Uh-huh, and he's telling her he's just, all he has to do is just uh, sort out some more legal matters, and then the fortune will be theirs, and then they'll they'll get married. Yep, yeah. yep, just got to put you know put a few legal things in order, and everything's all right. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the reason he feels safe enough to be in bed is Julie Julie does say, you know, don't worry, I, I slipped some more, I slipped you know, drugs in, in my aunt's milk again. So Mobile's, Mobile's passed out. We, we, we can fuck to our heart's content, essentially. That's saying Mobile's obviously a little slow on the uptake, too. And at this point, too, it's like, yeah, Mobile obviously hasn't dotted the I's and crossed the T's and figured out uh, that she's being drugged every night. Uh, but, I, but I do have to say, you know, we, for those of us who've heard us on the show, constantly, you know, our podcast here constantly joke about Paul Nashie, you know, the running joke, and anybody who's into Paul Nashie's film, the running joke about, you know, how he, you know, makes it with every woman in the film. Oh, now, yeah. here's a film where literally he does, because you think about it. Oh, well, that's true. It, except yeah. for Mobile. Except uh, for Mobile. Which, uh, yeah. I, was, I was afraid he was going to get around to her at some point, but, but you think about it, he's the only well, other he's woman. he's got three lovers. He's, he's got, got three he's lovers He's got a wife, he's film, got yeah. two mistresses, and if you think about it, he's into No, 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 Let, let's say it correctly. He's got a wife, he's got a mistress, and he has a girlfriend. Those That's are three separate relationships, man. You have to be able to keep these things straight if you're a guy. Because those are three completely separate yeah. types of relationships. And if you confuse them, you end up doing stupid shit like this. And there's aging housekeepers, too, and you keep your hands off of them. Your hands but, are off those. But if you think about it, since he plays Alec DeMarnak, and since he kills his wife at the first film, and you have to assume he must have screwed her at some point, so that's, you know, that's, he literally, <laughs> literally does sleep with four different women in this one, this one film. It's just amazing. The man is amazing. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, feel, I feel that it doesn't count unless you actually see him have, the, have the sex scene. That's true. So Plus, it was a night. He might have been, maybe that's the reason she was playing around on him, is he might have been a celibate night. You know, he might have been, he might have been a DeMarnak. No, he, no, no, no. He already had kids with her. Remember? Oh, that's Remember true. Legend, That's come on, come true. on! <laughs> don't be don't don't be trying to impugn the the virility of, not of Alaric Alaric Marnak. God's sake, man! What are you? <sighs> okay, okay. So, all right, we uh, we we now. Uh, I, I love that uh, she comes uh, that Julie comes out of the bathroom with him sitting there sitting there in bed and uh, asks, "Am I prettier than her?" Oh yeah. And there's that pause. Yeah, yeah. There's that pause, yeah, yeah. and this is really nice. It is. There's this pause as he's obviously hadn't really thought about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a pause yeah. as he's looking at her, and yeah. he's obvious. There's a, you, see, you hear the gears grinding in his head. It's like, oh, okay, wait a minute. I know what I, I know what I've got to say here. Why am I pausing? And then he says, you know, of course, you know, of course you are. Uh, we should mention at this point this particular actress's uh, this particular actress. I'll the, let you take that name. Um, the, the 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 actress who plays Julie is a friend. Oh wow, yeah. I guess yes, I'm, man, I'm leaving that one to you, buddy. Okay. Uh, we'll say... Fr- Fr- help Elena. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, really, help Elena. Francis Ondivelia? Ondiavella? 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 Ondiavella. At any rate, she went by another stage name. She used a stage name for the first few films 
of her uh, of her career. About which used Pat, and then the last yes, Hurricane, exactly, which helps us not at all because it's still the same. <laughs> still the same unpronounceable. Uh, but she had a hell of a career, though. That's what kills she had me. a pretty she, lengthy career. She started in '82. Uh, and uh, this was apparently uh, Panic Beach was apparently only her film. second, film, second as film, as far as we as far as we can tell. But she had his pretty long career, and as a matter of fact, everything that I can find points to her still being active, apparently still doing Spanish, Spanish television. Yeah, well, Spanish and Mexican television, so. right? She's on this show. Hasta que la dinero es no no sepra. <laughs> I am slaughtering Spanish uh, anyway. But apparently, it's a show that's still going. It was. Well, what's uh, the prettiest? Show. What What's the prettiest ugly girl? Is that something like? Ugly Betty? What the hell is that? I don't know. At any rate, she's done a. She's the, she's been primarily a TV actress. She's still working. She's I been primarily she, a TV actress for the past uh, decade or two. I think before she became an actress, she was uh, uh, Miss Spain, which I can certainly understand. Oh wow, really? Yeah, well, I think. It, yeah, I think I read pretty. that in a maybe in uh, Nash's book, possibly. I think it said that she was a former Miss Miss Spain. Well, she was born in '62, so when they filmed Panic Beats, that means she was 20. 20. Mm-hmm. So, kind of fits. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's uh, she's quite good in this and. Gets, really... gets gets nude uh, fairly often. Mm-hmm. Oh, and oh, I forgot. Yeah, the 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 line that Paul whips out. Uh, he says to her as they as they crawl into bed together, "Life would be empty without you." Mm-hmm. And she says, "I knew as soon as I saw you that I'd kill for you." Yeah. Um, I don't know that I could marry a woman. <laughs> I think there are probably two types of men in the world. Men for whom the statement, I knew as soon as I saw you that I would kill for you, immediately makes them want to marry the woman. And the other type of man is the the type who would say, wow, I've really got to be in another state. I'll be, whoo, I'll be in Europe. You have fun. I'm gone. Because, you know, if you stop and pause and make the leap of logic, the phrase, I would kill to be with you, Quickly goes to that. Also means that I will kill you. I will gladly kill you. Yes. Yeah, I will gladly kill you for the slightest provocation too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we're foreshadowing anything. No, but, no, no, uh, let's, nothing let's, like that. But anyway, uh, the next step I believe is that Paul goes to. Uh, oh, he goes back to Paris because, of course, there's going to be lots of paperwork to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. Got to wrap up the estate, take care of all the, the problems that comes from having you know your wife die a horrible, painful cardiac arrest in her sleep. So he goes back to his apartment. And he goes back to the, uh, the their apartment there in Paris. And uh, Mirel... There's curls of smoke coming up from his couch. Yeah, the long-term mistress has invaded his house in the city there. Uh, <laughs> he's not real thrilled about this. No. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, at this point in the film, I love the fact that I'd forgotten... Oh, wait a minute. What's, it, what's he going to do with the mistress? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. got the girlfriend. Because we haven't yeah. really known that no. he's doing something with Julie until just now. Right. And so now we're like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That means he's got two women to deal with. Oh, that's never going to work out well. Well, and he's he's and, and he's he's not necessarily drawing a lot of pleasure from that either. It's starting to wear on him pretty 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 heavily. Yeah, it it really is. Um, he he kind of he kind of confronts his mistress. What are you doing here? And she says, Don't worry, I'm very discreet. I've always been mm-hmm. very discreet. No one's no one knows I'm here. No one's gonna know. Now it becomes evident as they talk that he's told Morel that he'll marry her. <laughs> Yeah. So he's really burning the candle at both ends. I mean, he's found a new way to screw himself here. Um, oh Lord! So, well, they they obviously they obviously have sex and. Well, yeah, but I mean, she she's she's willing to 
to, to go along for a little bit longer. She's a smart woman. She's not stupid enough to think that something can happen immediately. She knows sometimes going to have to pass before anything can occur. And uh, I, I love to, they, they, they cut to them obviously, you know, after sex and yeah. he's sitting there beside the bed, just staring at her gorgeous, let's just say it, gorgeous naked body. And, and just going over in his head, there's this great voiceover where he's mm. just kind of tormented by the fact that he's just like, this, this, she's just a body. She's got no class, no style. I know, and I have to say, like, Paul, I know you've been around more than me, but that is not just anybody. <laughs> well, he, he realizes what, what a horrible position he's oh, in and he is, actually yeah, thinks just, very seriously yeah. about strangling her to death right there in the bed. Right, he grabs one of her nylons and, like, you know, and, and he's very close to strangling her. Uh, she she rolls over and starts talking to them, and he drops that idea. But it's obvious this guy feels completely trapped. He is screwed, and he knows he's screwed. Yeah. He's he's got another problem. He's he's gotten one problem taken care of. Everything's golden. No problems. No one suspects a damn thing. But mm -hmm. what am I gonna do with this one? Mm -hmm. He got too damn many women in his life. It's <laughs> just all it boils down to. Poor guy. Well. Julie is back at the house and kind of biding her time, waiting for things to take take care of. She um, she gives a phone call to someone. Mm. Turns out she's given a phone call to a guy named Maurice. Yep, the same name uh, as the uh, as Victor, uh, oh, Vic Vic Winters' character from Horror Rises from the Tomb. True, true, true. Now she doesn't call him. Actually, no, she, sneaks she sneaks out. out she sneaks out, meets, out of the house to visit, visit him. Visit with this. Suddenly, we're introduced to some new. Male presence, uh, just say male presence because we never see his. We never see, see Maurice's his face. face. Uh, this is obviously her boyfriend, and we, and uh, we find out that uh, we found out earlier that was mentioned in the dialogue during a scene that uh, Maurice was this, uh, or was it mentioned later? Now I can't remember, but it, it essentially Maurice is a guy who. Julie had a relationship with. I believe it's mentioned later. Is I mean, it mentioned we, we later? know we know that she's had kind of a shadowy and rocky youth growing up, but I don't think another man has been mentioned until Mobile. A little bit later, I think it uh, tells this to Paul. We'll see, and I believe. No, I think it may. Be, I, I can't remember where it is, but but you may be right. But, but Maurice is this boyfriend that she she had. He's a, apparently a, a drug addict and a thief. Uh, Mobile really wanted to get her away from him in the first place, and she's kind of glad that she has, but it's, we see now that uh, obviously she has not. Right. Uh, we never see Maurice's face, which is really weird. I don't know why. I know. I know. I know. I've been thinking about possible things that maybe were planned for the character that didn't happen, or but it is very interesting. It's hard to um, know. In this, in this, but anyway, what she tells him in this scene is she makes some uh, reference to not only will, that they won't be discovered, but also she says we'll be rich soon right 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 so it's obvious that julie's got more in her mind than just marrying paul mm -hmm. she's got some plans in mind for maurice mm -hmm. and, a, and a life later on that does not involve paul that may yeah. involve maurice instead now we see we come then i think to a it's at where she's is i love this scene because it pans you know i love whenever we see julie's room they yeah. always make a point to put up these like teeny bopper kind of posters and records around to kind of like I guess yeah. to show not only her youth but the fact of the, how set, much, the set dressing, yeah, the fact yeah. that she's you know whatever I guess got her I guess again to reflect on her being aware of the world outside. But it's, it cracks me yeah. up that she's got the uh, the Dexys Midnight Runners album there in her room. <laughs> I thought that was, <laughs> that was hilarious. Well, but, I didn't even notice that, but yeah, I think you're right. But it finally pans through all this room. I'll see all this stuff, and then we see that she's taking another one of her her mini showers, which we enjoy. Nothing, uh, nothing wrong with the shower. Oh well, yeah. The, while she before she's in the shower, we see Paul driving back, so we know oh, he's, he's coming so back to the house. Coming, yes, yes. And it, and it's 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 a voiceover where he's just 
he's fretting oh, horribly he's over like, the Morel Mar- Mar- situation. That Morel, damn her! Damn these women and their you know that. You know, oh, I know, I know. He's just, he's just trying to just trick a man. That's right. <laughs> just trying to, just trying to, trying trick, to trick a man. That's right. <laughs> so Julie is in the shower. <laughs> oh man, nobody in the world is going to get that joke but you and me, Troy. Know, That's just you and me, buddy. All right. So Julie, uh, Julie's in the shower, and uh, Paul comes in, and it's this. I don't know why they decided to do this, where it's like almost a creepy thing, and then you realize it's him. Yeah, I guess just trying to constantly. Now that you know not to trust a single person in the movie, I guess that's sort of the thing where anybody, you know, you think maybe she's about to be killed by somebody, but it turns out to just be Paul. Well, that well, the reason I don't understand why they they introduce him coming into the the, the shower scene with her. Why, why they why they try to to bring some tension to that is because then what really turns into the, the neat thing is that she gets out of the shower and they 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 hop into bed and start having sex and she she explains hey don't worry Mobile's gone into town where we have the house to ourselves right now so we don't have to worry about her walking in on us right. but then we're cut we cut back and forth seeing that Mobile's walking Actually back to the back. house yeah. and. They're unaware of it, but she overhears them yes, in right. you know, plotting in bed. So she now knows what's going on in yeah. the very next scene. Once again, too quick a cut to the next scene. Yeah, and uh, um, by the way, we'll just say right here that uh, that while Julie and Paul are gloating over their success of their plans, uh, that Paul also puts a ring on, on Julie's. Oh, he yeah, he does. He, while they're in bed, that's right. He gives her a ring. But you're right. Mobile sees this, and the very next thing we cut to, and I thought this was kind of a, of a weird... Uh, Got two, but it's it yeah, cuts it's, to Mobile talking to Paul, confronting uh, confronting him with the fact that she knows that the yeah. two of them are sleeping together, mm-hmm. and that she now knows that they orchestrated Genevieve's death. Mm-hmm. And here's where she, well, here's where she, uh, yeah, she oh, you're right. This is where she mentions because Maurice. this is the first time she comes right out and says that Julie That's was a former right. prostitute. So we yeah. haven't heard that to this point. She says, "I think I, I think she pushed her father to suicide. I know she was doing drugs. She was a prostitute for a while, and she was she was uh, dating this thug named Maurice." This is where she mentions Maurice. You're right. Okay, I'm sorry. Which just shows that Mobile sort of withheld all this information when she was trying to get her her yeah. niece a position there in the house. So in a weird, weird way, you know, Mobile's kind of sort of in a roundabout way, almost responsible. Not, you know, I mean, she's kind of good hearted, but at the same time, it's like, you know, her kind of, she obviously hid some of this stuff from But her. I like what Paul says. He, yeah. he, he's furious. He says, I, I decided to kill my wife long yeah. before yeah, I Yeah, he's pretty unremorseful. I mean, he's pretty, he's not he, he didn't even try and back up from it or just, he's like, you know, sometimes you just, sometimes these things, you seize your chances, you know. You he sees, sees them and you take takes them. your chances, you know. But yeah, he definitely comes right out and says, "Oh, I, I, she has no idea. I plan to kill, kill well, my wife." Long I like the way neither they both leave this situation a little open ended. Yeah, they do. Where, where he obviously this woman kind of raised him, and he doesn't really he doesn't seem to want to do anything to her. Yeah, and he asks her, "Well, what are you going to do?" And she says, "I don't know. I don't think I can forgive this." Right, and that's how the conversation ends. Mm-hmm. It's obvious it's kind of a situation where she's just going to have to she's going to have to think about this because mm-hmm. she doesn't know what she wants to do. Well, Morella I'm sorry, Morell calls the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julie takes the phone call and it becomes obvious that Julie's aware of Morell. Yeah, yeah. She she's yeah, the, the girlfriend yeah. is aware of the mistress mm-hmm. because she doesn't get upset about it. She and Paul talk and she's like I think she's coming out to the house. I think we're going to have to deal with her. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to do something. Paul Paul agrees and and the chain of events begins one, two, three. Mm-hmm. We have the uh, we have uh, Mabil coming downstairs and tripping mm-hmm. over a 
line that has been strung at the top of the stairs and falling down the stairs. And I must say, a very badly, badly edited uh, fall down the, the stairs. Uh, uh, oh, I would love to forgive that. Well, yeah. uh, well, it's not so much as bad. I mean, it's, it's because it's the, the, the covering, the hiding of the stunt double is very badly done. And I guess, I it, of course, it comes on right on the heels. You know, we had to... You know, we pray last last podcast, Blue Eyes of Broken Doll, we praised a fall down the stairs that was incredible oh, yeah. with two of the actresses taking a very realistic fall down the stairs. This is yeah. sort of the polar opposite of that. It's a very unconvincing, True. very obviously badly, you know, uh, obvious stunt double uh, that's, yeah, I just found it a very clumsy scene. But uh, I, I, yeah. I agree. I agree with you. I'm, I'm willing to forgive it because there's just no way you're going to, I mean, that that that, that little old lady, I well, don't, don't want to see that She certainly couldn't take that fall. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think Les might have been more, you know, it might have just been better if it had shown her foot tripping on the wire and then shown... Oh yeah, I think like I say, or just something. But it's but yes, but I mean, well, yeah, it still. I agree. A different director would have shot it differently, and and mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't have felt as clumsy as the way you're describing. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I'm just mm-hmm. willing to forgive that scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, in ways, I'm not willing to forgive certain other scenes in the in the film where yeah, I sure. think I think mm-hmm. a, a more experienced director mm-hmm. might have gone. Well, let's shoot it this way so that we can fake it, and we we mm-hmm. were able to cut in between two different things and mm-hmm. get an idea of what happens without having to show the fall. Mm-hmm. But Mabil um, um, falls down the stairs and looks quite quite unhealthy at yeah. the bottom there. <laughs> uh, Paul comes out immediately, undoes the rope, and is obviously not at all remote, remorseful. I would describe his attitude in this whole scene as cold. Yeah, yeah. Julie steps out, and they're looking at her, and sadly, it would appear that Mabil is not quite dead. She's right. she's obviously broken up and not in good shape, but not quite dead, and. Julie finishes her off by strangling her. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty rough. It's scene. pretty hard. Pretty, yeah, it is. It's pretty grueling because it, it goes on and and you know and even Paul's like kind of freaked out by you know yeah. it's, it's it's you know and well you know he's he's getting even wider. He's, he's really seeming more clear than ever what what Julie's you know capable yeah. of doing is like if something's in her way she'll she'll dispatch it you know and she just gets right down and 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 chokes her aunt to death. Now in a in a a series of events that you have to look upon and go damn. <laughs> Dude ain't got no luck at all. <laughs> we have the corpse, the freshly dead corpse of the old lady laying at the bottom of the stairs that they're going to have to, you know, call the cops in and say, okay, here's, oh, my God, she appears to have fallen and can't get up. Yeah. <laughs> and Morell shows up right now. Yeah. yeah just as this happens, yeah, she, yeah, she drives up. Mistress is out the door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mistress is out the door. Girlfriend just strangled the old lady. Damn, my life is weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he, well, so he drags, you know, of course, Julie's oh, now the one doing all the thinking for him. She, like, basically, you know, gets yeah. him to drag Mobile's dra- body, drags into, the body a into the other room. Close the doors. Uh, Julie goes and opens the door, lets Morell in, and uh, quicker than you can say, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> takes the, the hatchet or a little axe off the wall and cuts <laughs> cuts into her stomach with it, man. Just yeah. axe right yeah. into her stomach. Yeah. And uh, intestines and guts start streaming out and blood, and then clubs her in the head with the damn thing too, cleaving her head in in two. And it's a nice yeah. little gory sequence, which oh, yeah. I'll be honest, the, I, the gore, I, the, the gore isn't that great. The gore it's, is it, not exactly believable. It was pretty. It was a little too excessive in this point here. You know, it's like it's, well, not it's, not just not just overly excessive. The uh, the, the the shot, uh, like I say, in, in the hands of a of a more experienced director, the shot of the uh, the wounds. Mm. Would have been a shot. Would have been shot with a little bit more skill, yeah. So that we weren't able to see so clearly that, especially the head wound, is this big appliance attached yeah, to her yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. But 
Nevertheless, uh, but still, just yeah, you're right. Just the sheer rapidity, and I mean, you know, we figured, you know, at this point, you, you know, you know, you know, somebody's got to go, you know, and you figure, yeah, some you people know, got to croak. You, figure, here, you know, the other. mistress is only living on borrowed time, but my gosh, she barely has time to take off her coat, or even maybe she even doesn't get time. Well, and it's just that's like whack. I know that's the big surprise yeah, in this like, scene, which is shit. now we're going to have the big throwdown catfight confrontation between these two mean spirited, yeah, like, you know, strong willed mm-hmm. women, mm-hmm. and hell no, man! <laughs> just a few seconds later, well, we got another corpse on the floor. <laughs> now what's interesting about this is that right after Julie does this, she reacts almost with horror herself and actually oh, obviously she gets does still, seem a little appalled. See, at this point here, and I, I, this point makes me like wonder, and this is something that uh, obviously you can debate to whatever degree you want to, but it's it's I, I keep wondering through this how much of, is is there supposed to be how much of Alaric DeMarnac's influence and the evil influence of this house, or is, is you know, obviously these people are damaged and they're ruthless, but the way she reacts to the own, the fact that she grabs one of his weapons and does it, almost for a minute, makes you wonder if, if oh, there's some, idea, infl- yeah. you know, like he's acting through her or something. It's just just because of her own reaction to it. Like she's almost kind of shocked by what she's done. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's, it's just a, it's a little bit of a touch there that that, that I think it's kind of nice that they don't really ever ex- totally explain it one way or the other. But it's it just seems like maybe there's, there's it's not just that these you know these people obviously already are, are have this capacity to do this and they're put into this house where this this evil spirit is and it's just kind of like it brings out the the, the worst in them oh, but i would yeah i would point out that at this point in the in, in the film we have had absolutely no evil spirits or no, or supernatural super, no supernatural true. elements no, right. yeah. this is all gaslight material yeah. this is yeah. all, all all stuff done to drive someone crazy right. Right. or to, to give them a heart attack or, yeah. And, yeah. and this is all completely explainable but wow, it's, she does seem completely upset. And I, at the time, I wondered if it was just a. I kind of wondered if it was just like too much all at once, and she kind of freaks out. But mm. doesn't matter to a degree. We immediately cut, cut to the two of them cleaning the place up. We're actually Julie cleaning the place up, and hey, she made the well, mess. Well, she is the maid, you know. After well, not all, not not. Know. She made the mess. <laughs> yeah, it's true. She did. And she should really be cleaning yeah. it up, in my opinion. <laughs> And uh, Paul, who's smoking a cigar and rather calm at this point, is like, no worries about Morell. We'll call the cops. We'll lay Mobile's body back out here. I'll get rid of uh, Morell's body in her car. She, no one, no one knows about our. No one ever knew about our relationship. Uh, she wouldn't have told anybody that she's coming up here. That's a question Julie puts to him. You know, right? Would she have told anybody? Right. And he he kind he kind of sneers about that. He's like, no, 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 no. She was always very discreet. No one knows anything about this. I'll get rid of her body. Get rid of the car. Mm-hmm. We're free and clear. Mm-hmm. We just got to call the cops in here take care of the whole problem with the quote-unquote accidental death of your aunt, and we're set. Uh, I like the sneering way he refers to the cops as Holmes and Watson. Yeah, Holmes and Watson. I thought that was great. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> now, uh, the, the, our next scene is an, another mysterious scene where we don't see Maurice's face, but right. we see Maurice reading a letter from Julie, who's away on her honeymoon. So we've made a we've made a leap of probably... Mm. We, Probably weeks, possibly a couple of months yeah. here. They've had to wait. I'm sure they at least had to wait to, to so it wouldn't uh, seem like so totally. Yeah. Get they had to wait a while. To, so they could get a hold of the of, of his of Paul's wife's money, and, and they apparently, yeah, often gotten married. Right. She's writing him from the, from somewhere where they're on their honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, love, I love the fact that there are three things you can see on the table that are next to his arm as he's reading this letter, and we, yeah. we, we get to hear the whole letter in her voice. Uh, there's uh, the syringe... Mm. Uh, a candle and a knife. <laughs> yeah. Like that should really just kind of spell out. And okay, first of all, he needs the. Can- it's obvious the candle's being used for light. That's how he's reading the. Yeah. Le- that's how he's reading the letter. So he's in some shack somewhere with no electricity right. and nude women on the wall. There's posters. Oh yeah, there's the like posters Playboy, the back, like Playboy centerfolds, centerfolds, centerfolds yeah. on the wall. 
Uh, I think I recognize one of those Playboy centerfolds from the early '80s. I'm not kidding you, man. I think I think I remember that centerfold. That's sad. Yeah, yeah. Think about how much that had to be imprinted in my brain for me to go, "Hey, I know her." <laughs> oh man. Okay. Anyway, I guess I guess this would have been '82, so I would have been yeah, well, I would have been 14, 15. So you know, yeah, yeah. pre-internet of, days, man. It's like those yeah. centerfolds on the wall were, were those up. were the those were the only real outlets for yeah. full full airbrush nudity that we had. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I love the letter that she's writing about about how she's suffering oh, through the whole honeymoon. Just, this <laughs> bastard wants it day and night. <laughs> every every time it makes me more sick. Oh god. It just it just kills me. She's just telling him, you know, when 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 we get back, we'll take we'll take care of this scumbag and we'll we'll move on with our lives and he's of course, just calmly reading this, fixing up his drugs. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's cooking up some heroin. Yeah. Uh, and, and not doing it very well, considering I think you needed to put some fluid of some type in that spoon, because I don't think you can actually cook up powder without some liquid in it. But I'm no heroin addict, so don't take my word for it. Now, I have to say, uh, 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 Maurice, from this angle that they show me in this scene, actually really looks a lot like Paul Nashie. Doesn't you know, he, though? And I thought, well, he he almost looks like a little bit younger Paul Nashy, you know, but it, it could yeah. conceivably have been Paul Nashy. He didn't look like, it was hard to tell, but I thought that'd be interesting if Paul is, if Paul Nashy actually played that part himself, and he may have, because it sure looks a lot like him. It, it, you know. it, it may well have been. They've obviously gotten back from their honeymoon, and mm-hmm. Paul and Julie have gotten back from their honeymoon. And uh, we see Paul in the bathtub scrubbing away there in some maybe, sudsy maybe water. Perhaps the scene's perhaps the most disturbing scene in the whole film. Is, yeah, uh, I know. Paul Nashy <laughs> sitting naked in the, Paul, in the bathtub. In there in just his Paul Nashy glory. There I was the, really <laughs> afraid we were going to see a lot more of Paul Nashy than I ever really wanted to see. The I, full Molina there. <laughs> yeah, the full <laughs> Molina. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Ooh, was, uh, that's a... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what just, I was afraid of. Yeah. I'll be, I'll, yes, but, but uh, he's in there and he's obviously just as happy as a son of a bitch can be. I mean, think, 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 think about this this yeah. guy's situation. He just got back from a honeymoon, yeah. with a woman about twenty years younger than him. He's right. just banged day and night. Right. He managed to get rid of the problematic wife and take all her money legally. Everything's yeah. good. Yeah. He got rid of the pain in the ass mistress who he had no respect for and that he was tired of fucking. Right. So and he's he's about as happy as a son of a bitch. He's in the bathtub scrubbing away. And I, didn't he have a cigar? He, he's smoking that. a cigar. That's he's right. smoking yeah. the cigar. I mean, if he'd had the fedora on, if the only thing he <laughs> oh, would if he had the fedora the, on. The fedora would have been a perfect touch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been the best. <laughs> oh, if he'd been wearing the hat in the bathtub, anyway. smoking the cigar, scrubbing himself, and we'd gotten a shot yeah. of the full oh, Nashy yeah. package, then the scene, well, no, then it would have been horrifying. But no. Well, we're going to let you hear this scene because there's just some choice choice bits of dialogue. And, of course, you won't understand a word of it, but uh, we're going to let you hear it. I don't know. Spanish well, speakers will The Spanish understand. speakers will, um, but uh, we, we will do our best to translate it after. But this this is some good stuff, folks. Gracias, mi vida. La verdad es que hace frío. Una casa tan grande y tanto tiempo deshabitada, ya se sabe. Mañana mismo avisaré para que vengan a revisar las calderas de la calefacción. No me atrevo a encenderlas sin que las den un buen repaso. Eres una mujercita adorable. No quieres que tu anciano y achacoso marido se acatarre, ¿eh? Oh, me estás mojando. Me vas a poner perdida. Ah, está bien. El malvado dragón libera la dulce princesita, pero a condición de que ella le frote bien la espalda. Julie, tú y yo siempre estaremos juntos. ¿Y sabes por qué? ¿Por qué? Porque somos dos monstruos y aceptamos nuestra mutua maldad como algo natural. Eso. 
nos une. Puede, puede ser. Y es que a veces hasta las víboras se enamoran. Parece que esta noche te sientes inspirado. Los dos éramos malos, pero yo era mucho peor que tú, imbécil. Can I just say that Julie is just awesome, isn't she? <laughs> Julie is awesome. I, I love this the dialogue scene, in this scene. This whole scene is awesome. There's so many good things about the scene. I hardly know where to begin, but yes, yes. Well, Go we've, discussed, we, we've, discuss, we've discussed him in the tub. the tub. She comes in and um, essentially she brings in a heater because the play, apparently the place is cold. They have a little discussion there, back and forth. He first, he first tries to get convince her to get into the tub with him. It's obvious he's ready to have some more sex. Like I said, this guy's happier than any human being has any right to be right now. Yeah, she's sitting on the edge of the tub, and then he's trying to get her to get in the tub with him. And but uh, yeah, and he has the he has this great dot line of dialogue about how you know we 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 should we should we should be together because we're both monsters. Right, right. And but 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 even monsters need love. Yeah, wonderful. No, yeah. And her her line is uh, you're 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 thinking you're thinking very deeply now. You you're yeah. you're in deep thought tonight. Yeah. And stands up and has obviously just finally had enough with him. Picks up the heater and throws it, <laughs> throws in, the, it in, the tub. in the tub while saying "fuck you" or some Spanish equivalent there. Yeah, yeah, you know that that's the that's the curiosity factor I have about that. Is I I, I really need to I need to quiz Elena or somebody. She needs to teach us the Spanish dirty words. Yeah. Well, yeah, oh, that's not a bad idea. She could just yeah. <laughs> she could teach us how to curse properly in Spanish. That's right. So she tosses the heater in the bathtub and fries old Nashi up. Fries them all up there. I bet that just smelled great. <laughs> What's sad is something I just realized reviewing that scene is that I am hairier than Paul Nashi. <laughs> Not in werewolf form. No one's hairier than him. Yeah, but true, just but... Paul Nashi in general, I'm hairier than Paul Nashi. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> you don't want to know. It's terrible. If I'm smart, I'll edit that out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We've said more incriminating things than that, I think. Yeah, probably true. So, of course, the very next scene, we, well, we you see... Well, you have to tell her, her oh. last line of dialogue from the... As oh, she's that's watching, right. As that's she's watching right. the smoke yeah. rise up from steam, rise up from his fried body, she says, maybe we're both evil, but I'm, but I'm, or, or, but I'm more evil than you are, idiot, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I'm more evil than you, idiot. And I have to admit, in the evil sweepstakes, I give it to Julie. I think Julie's pretty much taken yeah, the... Yeah, she's got a... I mean, she's... That whole se- in that whole sequence where she's standing there staring at his, you know, mm-hmm. slowly frying body, she's yeah. got this truly beautifully evil look on her mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. And you can understand the attraction and also the, the gargantuan fear that all men have for incredibly beautiful women who seem to have absolutely no moral compass. So. <laughs> yes, but the next scene we cut to is, of course, Paul's funeral. Mm-hmm. She's with, playing the grieving wife. Yes. She's playing the grieving wife very, very effectively. Yeah. So, so terrible. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. <laughs> Such a terrible accident. <laughs> she gets back to the house. She's glad. She's obviously she's in the house alone because she drops the grieving widow act really quickly. Very quickly, Does dancing around. Dance, yeah, yeah. twirls around. She's having a good time. Sticks her. I love this. She yeah. sticks her tongue out at the portrait of Alaric de Marnac there, <laughs> hanging in the house. Never has she looked more beautiful and more. More young, exactly. Than yeah. in that scene. Yeah. There's, th- that was that, a nice touch to remind yeah. you of just how young she is too. Yeah. A, yeah. Immediately calls Maurice, saying, "You know, look, if you've got if you've got the tickets for, you know, we we leave tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. 
We'll be out of here. Basically, you know, we got two tickets for Paradise. We're getting the hell out of here. Uh, why they're going to New York? Oh, he quotes Eddie Money. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Quoted I quoted Eddie Money. <laughs> yes, I quoted Eddie Money. I apologize. <laughs> so we've had a Dexie's Midnight Runners and an Eddie Money reference in one. <laughs> we are in the 80s, aren't we? Oh, uh, yeah. if you're not careful, I'll work in a Jethro Tull con- 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 uh, <laughs> reference, and we'll all be we'll going down with the ship, man. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, they're 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 going to be off uh, on a plane ride to New York City the very next day. She mm. couldn't be happier. She, of course, is not going to wait a millisecond mm. before grabbing every nickel of money. That she can and get the hell out of getting the hell out of the country. Yeah. Uh, once again, pointing out just how young and inexperienced, and how obviously this woman she's going to get caught if yeah, she's exactly. this blatant. It's not going to look. Yeah, this yeah. looked a little strange. Yeah. So that night she's um, she's packing. She's getting she's getting her, her her luggage all packed up, ready to get up in the morning and head off to mm. New York City with Maurice, her drug-addled freak. <laughs> and uh, while she's packing, a picture flies off of the dresser the, a picture of uh, of Paul mm-hmm. matter of fact that same picture that she first saw of him early in the film mm-hmm. and uh, she goes to pick it up off the floor and there's smoke rising off of the thing and as she flips it over there's blood all over the picture and it's changed from being a picture or a photograph mm-hmm. of uh, Paul to being a picture of Alaric mm-hmm. and she is of course terrified and I, I like this this is a this is a point at which I'd like to to laud the 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 score because we have some nice creepy piano yeah. tinkling here mm-hmm. which is actually mm-hmm. very effective none of that electronic buzzing which irritates mm-hmm. me so much throughout the rest of the film but this piano tinkling stuff actually works here there's uh, there's water running in the bathroom and the water turns into blood coming out of the shower head and she looks over and sitting in the little soap dish in the shower is an eyeball Mm-hmm. And an eye, patch, an eye patch, much like the same thing that she obviously yeah. said on that bat that uh, breakfast tray mm-hmm. to scare Genevieve. She starts saying to she starts saying to herself, "I'm." She starts freaking out. She's obviously terrified, and she says to herself, "I'm starting to see things. I'm some, something's wrong here." And that's when she spots a snake. Mm-hmm. Where was the snake? The snake was actually she reaches, I think, under the. Oh, that's right. She because reaches she, under, and she yeah. gives that snake moves pretty quick because she withdraws her hand and it's already wrapped all the way up uh, up her arm there, but it but it's wrapped all around her arm under the blankets or something. She reached. Oh, I know, and she's obviously completely terrified of it because she's holding her hand yeah. out and taking her other hand and trying to yeah. and, and unraveling it around from her, from around her forearm and wrist. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that I think the one thing about this part right here that I, I thought, uh, as we'll see, um, as things develop here, you know, but it's, I, I think that what's going to be what you would commonly think in this scene. I think it's great that where the fact they've introduced this Maurice character, and of course we've never seen his face, but. I think the tendency would be to think that, oh, now Maurice is doing this to her because yeah. he wants the money, except for the thing that the portrait changed. That was the well, one yeah. thing. That's kind of a supernatural hint there. It's like they would be hard to pull that off. See, everything else here is stuff she's already done to other people or they the already snake, did. The snake thing. So you could yeah. almost buy and say, like, oh, okay, now he's driving her insane. So I think the picture gives it away a little bit too early and you know, a little bit too quickly in this sequence that, okay, this is actually right. a supernatural thing. I think they you're right. They should have, the portrait falling is not a bad idea, but the fact that it changes Dalek to Marnak, that's obviously a supernatural touch. It's like, okay, they should have held that off. <laughs> but otherwise, um, this, you know, the sequence is pretty effective. But one thing I like, now she leaves her room. Obviously all this stuff has frightened her. She, she manages to get the you know, snake off her arm and she's, she's freaked out. She leaves her room. And I, I do like the fact that this, it's a nice touch that her entire progression through the house is an exact mirror of Genevieve's progression through the house during the sequence yeah, where they scared her to death. Because she goes out out on the landing, down the stairs, into the living room. You know the usual touches: the mace is missing from the you know the wall, and uh, there's a this time there's a skull on the wall, a bloody skull. Now she goes to various doors. Let's say there's a lot of they pull out a lot of things here. Uh, the phone rings, she answers it. There's nobody on the other end. 
she opens the door and she sees first she sees the corpses of Genevieve and Mabille. And that's true. Well, they, now they, let's let's talk about this because it took me a while to figure that out because these are not. Well, just, it's not the actors obviously in makeup. It's it's these yeah. are these are very moldered corpses. Yeah, uh, as if uh, they've been in the ground or they've been in mm. they've been in the ground and they've det- started to deteriorate. So they look really mm. horrific. I mean, like right, the, like right. the features have kind of melted down. Right, and I think I mean now now I could be wrong. This is how I read it was that the first time she opens the door, she sees first the corpses of Genevieve and Mobile. Then the next door she opens, she sees the corpses of Muriel and Paul. Um, it makes sense because we've had four deaths and there's and there's four corpses. Four corpses but to me, yeah. the, they were actually the corpses look. I mean, the makeup is effective in that they they look very creepy. I felt like they may have almost been made up too much to the point that I wasn't. It I had to watch it a few times to kind of figure out whose corpse was who and who they were supposed to be. So I thought like maybe they almost overdid the makeup a little bit. It's not the makeup's bad. I think like maybe it's 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 sort of hard to tell who's who. Well, then again, you may be overthinking these corpses and it might a be. bit it might too much. Be, it might just um, be that. I mean, they might not be that at all. You're right. I mean, it may be. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't put. I didn't think too hard about the corpses because I think that if, I'll be honest. I I thought that they were just the just apparitions or just just like, apparitions. Uh, that's possible. I I, I, I I did get the sense. I thought that they probably were Genevieve and Mobile, mm-hmm. but especially the first two. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it it you don't have to get very specific, and I think that's one of the great things about those makeups is that they're. It's not that the, the the corpses are indistinguishable. It's that they're so messed up that you couldn't really tell. I mean, you couldn't really point to one other than maybe one's taller than the other mm-hmm. to try to distinguish who's who. Yeah, that's one of the things I liked about it. I thought as much as I would complain about as much as I would complain about the uh, just just to make a point as much as I would complain about the makeup done when uh, Morel gets killed with the right. a- with the axe. Mm-hmm. No complaints about the makeup on those corpses. They looked really good. That's mm-hmm. some nice professional stuff, and I like the way they're very moist looking like they just stepped out of water right mm-hmm. very nicely done they glisten well in the lighting it's a, it's good stuff it's very mm-hmm. nicely done and very creepy so. okay so she uh so as she can't get out of the house because of these corpses so she actually runs to to uh, there's a chapel that's in the that's actually yes yeah, actually right? it's, it's runs, part of the house yeah and so she runs into a chapel now i believe i'm uh, reading about this uh isn't am i correct i this uh, interesting thing about he he said about filming there was that it belonged to uh well the house they filmed in belonged to uh general franco the the mm-hmm. dictator of spain mm-hmm. for decades of who course. of course as we know was heavily heavily into censorship of, of films and so i think they talk about yeah paul talked about how the 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 odd feeling of Filming all this kind of things that probably would have you know been just aghast at the film in this apple actual chapel where where he had where uh, his grandchildren were christened yeah, where General yeah. Franco's and of course yeah. he also talks about uh, uh, Lois uh, I think Giles oh, well yeah he, ta- he talked about the was the fact that she was an old revolutionary you know she had basically but, been, yeah she was she was a left wing revolutionary mm-hmm. who you know despised Franco and everything mm-hmm. and everything he stood for yeah so anyway she uh, Julie runs into the chapel. And uh, in comes the doors open, and and in comes the knight. He's the knight's been the film. He's, yeah, and, he and, comes and, in and at, at this point, at this point, it's all complete. It's obviously it's obvious that something supernatural is going on. These things yeah. cannot could not be happening. Nobody could really front this and because and this pull time off. he raises his visor, and first he's a corpse again, uh, not a skull face as it was earlier when it was just Paul pretending to be an apparition. This time it's an actual like moldy corpse with great yeah. makeup again great makeup on that it yeah. finally changes into we we get because it, it takes the helmet completely off and he finally changes into uh the we've a full-on alaric de Marnac, uh we yeah. finally see and it's great because he's 
uh, other than the fact of being whatever ten years older, uh, it's just great to see. Nash has not only recreated the makeup look, but he's got the same glare, the same yeah. uh, wide-eyed glare that he used as Alaric Demonic and High Rises from the Tomb. He looks completely demonic. It's he fantastic. Does. He does. It really is. It really looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he proceeds to beat Julie to a pulp with the mace. <laughs> with the mace again. And yeah. uh, and and then Repe- the last... repeating the scene from the very beginning of the exactly. film. The if, last... you, if you want to talk about mirroring, and there you go. And there's yeah. quick, you know, little while he's doing this, and after it's over, there's these quick little clips of all these religious icons on the wall on the wall of the chapel yeah. and then we finally see the camera shows Julie's battered battered body bashed body yeah. and then the camera pulls away to the chapel and the doors are open and nobody's there nobody's there there's and nothing we're... strange or out of the ordinary there it's just it's yeah. just pretty and the, the sunlight is coming through the stained glass window and we roll That's the credits the credits yeah this is a good film but this is uh, one of those times when I love to to be able to point directly to his influences and where he pulled mm-hmm. his ideas for this plot. And he references them. I mean, he references one of them directly in the film itself, in the dialogue. Rebecca, the, the classic novel uh, by De Mornay, Daphne de Mornay, pardon mm-hmm. me. Oh, God, I think I, I wonder if I'm mispronouncing her name now. <laughs> That's terrible. But at any rate, uh, made into a film in 1940 by Alfred Hitchcock. His first, his first American film. See, I am a film geek. Um, um, and that's referenced directly in the film. Uh, but also the plot, the whole, you know, drive someone crazy, a.k.a. or drive someone to the point where they die mm-hmm. so that you can inherit their money. That's straight out of Gaslight, oh, the yeah. classic film Gaslight, and mm-hmm. to the point where Gaslight has become a verb for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I had a girlfriend who used to say, are you yeah. trying to gaslight me? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm not trying to gaslight you. In no way am I attempting mm-hmm. to fool you in some bizarre way so that you will die. <laughs> I think of this nature. But I, I love the fact that we've talked about in uh, other films that we've covered mm. about how he draws on all these different influences. In uh, Night of the Howling Beast, you can see Republic serials. Mm-hmm. In so many of his horror films, you can see the, the Universal Monster films. You can see right. the Hammer films. Mm-hmm. You can see all kinds of influences mm-hmm. of that type. Mm-hmm. You can see references to uh, uh, even even comic books at times. All kinds of these kinds of things. Adventure movies and things, things like this. This one is... Uh, it's really neat to be able to see... That he's directly going. I'm going to do my version of Gaslight. Yeah, and yeah. I'm going to and I'm going to kick it over into at the end. I'm going to kick it over into turning the supernatural, scary business into an actual thing that that ends up being the climax of the story. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, it's it's wonderful that because obviously coming into doing a film like this, he are, he's he's aware of of so many times that people have seen this story before and giving his audience credit for that they would normally when they first hear about the rich wife with the, the weak heart, they're going to start thinking in terms of, you know, is somebody trying to kill her, but the fact that he puts it in the context of an Alec, Alaric de Mornick story, yeah. who we know to be a supernatural character, then that keeps you diverting left and right as to, you know, as, as I mean, that keep, that holds off the suspicion of the human motive when you're expecting to see the, the, the supernatural, you, the supernatural element, element yeah. you know, and that's, that's a nice way of like kind of putting this thing here that kind of puts this, you know, well, to keep them from making the jumps too quickly to trying to like think of it as a mystery. If you came across this film and had no idea whether it's a horror film, is it a thriller? If you just came watching it, then, then it truly, you don't know what, you, what, what to expect, whether you don't know if it's going to be a horror movie or is it, or is it a murder mystery or a thriller or something like that? This is true. The, one of the, one of the neater things is Nashy in writing this script as he so off as he so often does assumes that his audience is going to be at least fairly familiar mm-hmm. with some of these some of these stories some of these tropes some yeah. of these uh some would call them you know story cliches to a degree yeah because they're versed in fiction to a degree 
Uh, in other words, he kind of expects people coming to, into these to be aware of some of these things and to yeah. realize he's kind of, okay, he's playing with this or he's right. doing that, even if they don't recognize it at first because he's yeah. trying to hide it here mm-hmm. and there. Mm-hmm. I think this ties directly into something I wanted to bring up, which is that, uh, have you noticed that everybody in this film reads? Uh, we see wow. Jean, we see Genevieve reading right. uh, all the yeah. time. Whenever she's in bed, yeah, she's yeah. reading before yeah. she goes to bed. Mm-hmm. We see Paul reading in bed as well. Mm-hmm. They're they're reading books. They're reading mm-hmm. novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we even see Julie, the you know the bumbleheaded you know twenty yeah. year old reading. Yeah. She's reading magazines, magazines of course. Yeah. Uh, uh, we see uh, Morell. Uh, she's reading newspapers. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, interesting point. I hadn't thought about all that these people history. read. This is how mm-hmm. they're you know this is this is them taking in, in information. And I think that in another way, this is just the way he sees the world. In other words, of course you read, you, you read, this is how you, t- this is how you take in stories. This is how you take in information. And this, this is just part of it. And I think that's interesting. And, it, and it's just another one of those things where his references, while, mo- you know, almost always he's going to have his references and his stories re- relate and back people to people write letters as much as they do college other film, you know, which as, 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 which as we know, letter writing is becoming a, a dying as far as, a, well, you know, unless, I mean, you, email, unless you want to I talk mean, about email is taking yeah. its place. Yeah. But email is taking but, um, place of this handwriting. It's it's a part of the the way he sees the world, and part of the way I think to a degree the world was at that point, which yeah. is that you read if there, you know there 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 are books everywhere. Uh, you'll notice throughout his movies, much much like in the Night Stalker with Kolchak going to the library and getting the stacks of books, trying to find out <laughs> yeah. what the hell kind of monster he's dealing with this week. <laughs> you go to these books. Yeah. You got to go find this information. And this is you know mm-hmm. this, we don't have an internet around. My God, we got to go to the books. Go to the books. Go to the books. <laughs> but but I really like that aspect of it. It is nice. It is nice. When we agreed to to go ahead and do Panic Beats, one of the things that I was curious about is that one of our correspondents, uh, Elena, who does the uh, Horror Rises from Spain radio show on Cult Radio Agogo every Saturday, she had remarked in an email at some point or another to me about how much she really liked Panic Beats, and being a Nashi fan, I understand that, mm-hmm. but how the thing that, that uh, she remarked on was that the film showed something typical about the way Spanish men deal with women. Mm-hmm. And so as I was prepping to do, as, as I was prepping for this podcast, I, I started thinking about that and I decided, let, let me reach out to her. I gave her a, I, I dropped her a line and asked her, well, what did you mean by that? Because mm-hmm. that was, that it wasn't that she was being cryptic. It's that, you know, there's a, there's a cultural difference. I mean, she's Spanish. She lives mm-hmm. in Madrid. Mm-hmm. We're in the States here. Right. And I'm not really sure what she meant. And so she clarified for me and I was very glad that she did. And what she pointed out was that even today in Spain, the attitude that Paul, the, the character Paul, mm-hmm. evidences toward women throughout the movie is very much a typical Spanish attitude towards women, mm-hmm. something that she sees still today to a lesser degree. She says it's, she, she seems yeah. to think it's gotten better from her mother's generation to her own, right. but that what you see is this way of dealing with women where the idea of mm-hmm. a man having a wife Mm-hmm. And a mistress, yeah. and hey, maybe even a girlfriend <laughs> isn't really that odd. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, it's almost taken mm-hmm. for granted that that's the that, kind kind of the that, way it's going to be. Here's a woman who's going to have your children, and once she becomes that woman, then you have you know she can't be the woman you you're intimate with, or, you know, or that you know she's yeah. that in your life. She's the mother of your children, so then that means you've got to have the the, the mistress. You've got to have the mistress because you need to have you still need to have that spark in your life. Mm-hmm. You're a man after all. Mm-hmm. And uh, she talks, you know, it's the it's the idea that uh, th- that attitude that's being shown in Panic Beats of, uh, you know, a male-dominated world. You know, it's a man's mm-hmm. man's mm-hmm. world, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. The idea that uh, they they get what they want, they'll find a way to get what they want, and, and that it's just not really that difficult for 
uh, a man to work his way around the situation and to say off his wife and take her money if he, if he really wants to. I found that very interesting. I, you know, we've you like to think that there have been uh, say a lot of changes in the way the genders the, the genders yeah. deal with each other and that well, perhaps we're getting better as time goes on and we're not quite the the scumbag pigs that you know <laughs> we may have been or <laughs> at least we hope we're not that bad. But the fact that she still sees that as being mm-hmm. fairly prevalent mm-hmm. within Spanish culture, at least, yeah. is uh, I don't know. I don't well, know if it's necessarily disheartening, but she does say that it's well. It, it was typical, interesting to get typical, that. It was so. it was inter- it was valuable to get that corroborate you know that corroboration from her mm-hmm. because uh, watching all these films, you know, a lot of times you do when you see the and we've talked before about you know a lot of Nash's films, particularly the the really overtly supernatural ones or the 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 Valdemar Donitsky films, you know, the really the the Nashy types of women that he that he often writes, you know, is like the really purely good, you know, or the really you know purely wickedly evil kind of women and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and you want, when you watch those, and you know, there is a tendency to think like, you know, yeah, I bet that is a very Spanish attitude. And then you think like, well, maybe I'm maybe I shouldn't talk about something I don't know anything about. So it's good to get that kind of, you know, to get some of that background information. Uh, and also, you know, I think that that conflict is and is very obvious within. Paul Nash's own psyche because of the generation he grew up in. I think that, you know, and from reading his book, of course, he witnessed a lot of real uh, atrocities, a lot of harshness, and he definitely w- witnessed a lot of, of, of violence against women. And when he relates True. it in his book, it's obvious that he thinks uh, he thinks it's, it's horrible, you know, at the same time he grew up in that culture. And I think that probably a lot of that comes out in his writing and the fact that the, the artist in him and the the story artist, the storyteller you know re, yeah. you know and i'm sure there's a there's a part of him the free spirit in him and the artist in him rebels against you know that kind of thinking but at the same time being brought up in that culture he also has that side to his nature and i think a lot of it comes out you know the other com you know that's one of the most fascinating things about his films to me are those conflicts and in, in his you know like we see the old world new world conflict you know yeah, we see the, the so. rich poor conflict we you know and here i think we also see the the liberal man versus the man who's been brought up also in this culture that has this, you know, where these images of women, this kind of, you know, thoughts of women. I mean, look at the, look at the end of this film, and this is another fascinating aspect of the film to me, is, is that Alaric de Marnac, who we've seen in Horror Rises from the Tomb, was just an out-and-out, you know, Satanist, lycanthrope vampire, or whatever you want to call him, you know, yeah. blood drinker, you know. Here, blood, blood drinker, necromancer, whatever. Yeah. Here he's like, he's almost a weird avenging kind of spirit in this film, which I thought was a really interesting take yeah. on it. The fact yeah. that she's killed in a chapel, the fact that he's able to, now think about this, the Alaric de Marnac we've seen in Horror Rises from the Tomb, couldn't face holy objects. Here, he right. basically enters, you know, a chapel and and commits commits murder right in front of all these. And you know, and and and, and obviously, it's, I mean, like I said, it's a totally different take on on. He's almost like an avenging angel or some sort of you know to punish and punish I, this woman for her evil. And so it's right. just you know. She, and, and the thing is, you can't disagree with that take on that on what the character is doing there at right, the end of the because, film. Yeah. And. And by those cuts to all those various things around the chapel, and just by setting that murder in the chapel, he's making it evident that the attitude of, say, the the higher powers is that this is retribution. This yeah, right. is justice. And the fact they go out of the way to set up her her past is that they had you know that they had to to make her that one time she was a prostitute and one time ran a bad oh, yeah, company. It's, yeah. it's, I think there's something about that that, that maybe just that this kind of idea, like, you know, that someone, you know, that kind of idea that a woman grows up like that, she can't, that's just oh, what yeah. she's destined to be. She can't better herself. You know, she can't, like, you know. She, she can't she, change. She, she can't, can't be that. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, yeah. anyway, yeah. Interesting. So, 
uh, utterly fascinating and just uh, just another just another indicator of how many different types of conversations these films mm-hmm. can spark. Which is why after a year, um, you know, we're still, you know, I mean, it's done a year of these shows, and we probably have at least another. At least another year. Of this. You know, before we obviously the well's going to run dry at some point. Unfortunately, uh, as far as just what's Eventually. available to us, Eventually. but it's nice. To, even after a year, I keep thinking about how many films I'm still excited to get to. Oh yeah. And even though we're obviously discovering the continuing threads throughout his films, it seems like all the time we're discovering new things. I mean, they continually be challenging, and so that's why it keeps us fun for us, and hopefully fun for you. Well, what's but, weird to me is I think that eventually we're going to reach a point, maybe maybe not too long from now, where we're going to feel the need to do a kind of point five episode where we maybe revisit, say, Horror Rises from the Tomb, mm-hmm. sit down and actually go through it together yeah. and see what we're seeing in it now. Yeah, um, yeah that would be true. It would be interesting to go Avengers of the Mummy, first, yeah. one, of these, one of these other films that has, that has really sprung to life while we, while we watched it and delved into it and see if our attitudes or what we've seen in it has mm-hmm. changed now that we're right. going deeper and deeper into his mm-hmm. movies and really honestly play, paying as much attention to them as we are. That, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So, We'd like to point out that you can join this conversation. What I hope to do in the new year as we start uh, our next episode on Lucky 13 mm-hmm. is I'd like to start trying to include some, uh, some of the viewer... Viewer? <laughs> Some listeners email. You don't want to view this, believe me. <laughs> we, 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 we get email from you guys, and we're, and we're very glad for every piece of email we get from you. Yes, very And uh, we'd like to uh, start including your emails in the show, especially if you've got some questions, if there's uh, some specific insights to the films that you, you, you want to bring up. Please email us. Let us know. I'd love to start including some of this stuff in the show. To be honest, we probably should have been doing it already instead of just doing it glancingly. Yeah, uh, what did I say earlier about us being a bit lazy? But we get around <laughs> to it. Give us time, and we do. Give us time. It's only taken a year for this idea yeah. to occur to us, right? You know, three more years from now, this will be actually a like uh, cable cable network. You know, this will be like a uh, cable channel. Show One day well. we will be proficient. <laughs> Community cable, of course. You know, <laughs> we will eventually be good at this. You yeah, wait and right. see, buddy. <laughs> But uh, we, we'd like to uh, remind you, please drop us a line if you've got something to say. Uh, the, uh, the address is nashicast at gmail.com. Uh, thoughts, ideas, uh, criticisms, uh, money. Hey, <laughs> pay Palace some money. I don't give a shit. I'd love to have it. What am I saying? Uh, if, you'd like to want, if, you, if you're wondering what that low, soft sound in the background is, that would be Flex. Flex is my enormous cat. Yeah, yeah. We managed to put him to sleep with this uh, episode here. He found it fascinating for about 20 seconds, and then he's been asleep the rest <laughs> of the time. He's been passed but... out about <laughs> three feet away from the microphone. So drop us a line. Uh, we'd like to tell you that uh, next episode is Lucky Number 13, and we are going to zig when we should have zagged, maybe. But it's time for we felt it was time for Voldemar Daninsky again. Yes, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to delve back into the 70s and touch on Voldemar Daninsky again, and what we're going to do is we're going to finally hit one of the most problematic, if not the most problematic, of the Daninsky films, Fury of the Wolfman, mm-hmm. or uh, Wolfman Never Sleeps, or whatever title you find <laughs> the film under. The um, second or third one, depending on who you believe, I guess. But yeah. it's the one that he did the same year as uh, his classic uh, Werewolf First of the Vampire Women or Werewolf Shadow. Correct. This is the film that Nashi himself loathed. Uh, he had a ter- apparently had a terrible, terrible time making this movie and uh, does not have any kind words for it at all. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's the reason why I want to scratch yeah. this itch. Because we might, you know, we might have kind words for it. You never know. You saw it years ago, on her, and and I have never seen very it. Ba- so yeah, it's, very so bad. Very bad print. I saw so, yeah. I saw a very bad print. I feel almost as if I never really have seen it. So I'm going to be coming to it with incredibly fresh eyes. So remember, <laughs> drop us a line, nashycast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Uh, we're going to start including the uh, emails and messages we get from everybody in the podcast itself. Uh, maybe in the regular podcast, maybe in the occasional point five episode, mm. we're going to step up and start making a few more point five episodes here very soon. Give us your thoughts. Give us your insights. Let us know if we're crazy. Mm-hmm. Thanks again for listening. Keep in touch. Remember, Horror Rises from Spain, Cult Radio A Go-Go. Check it out. Well worth listening to. Lots of information. Some great interviews with different filmmakers as well. <laughs> She's got some nice stuff mm-hmm. lined up. Thanks to everybody for listening. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.